Welcome to the Noise to Signal podcast. My name is Doug Craver. And this is Jack Ricuto. Together, we're exploring through interviews and discussion how founders, creators, producers, and makers discover and sustain their passions and focus for life. So this afternoon, we have Phil Davis, who uh, uh, we just met recently and who has, uh, 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 I think, brings to the table some really good insight and story into the uh, noise to signal that we're going to be talking about today. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Good, good. So, Phil, um, one question I always like to ask uh, people who are, you know, creators, innovators, uh, producers, was there a pivotal point in your life where you knew you were going to do what you did with Fill the Fire? Oh, that's that's a loaded question. (laughs) Uh, Because, I mean, it, it takes me back to thoughts of childhood. Yeah. And watching mm-hmm. my mom and dad cook, because both my mom and dad cooked, and though they had their specialties, my mom was known for a fried chicken, my dad was known for his potato salad. Mm. And so I saw a man in the kitchen cooking, and I saw my mom just, she was just a wonderful cook, both great cooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew then that I wanted to have that kind of skill set so that if nobody else could feed me like my mom and dad fed me, I could feed myself. <laughs> um, but interestingly enough, I was fortunate enough to, when I left South High, right here in Cleveland, I went to Stanford. Mm-hmm. And the first, literally, the first. So I don't mean to interrupt you, but not everybody from South High gets into Stanford. This is true. (laughs) Okay, so give me a little context there and background. Well, well, how you got in? Right back in the day, um, I was was a uh, city champion wrestler. Um, I did fairly well in school. I took AP. I took honors. uh, I had a good GPA. Very involved. uh, Had lots of things uh, presented to me to take advantage of. Sure. Um, so uh, I had a well-rounded profile to present to Stanford. Not only did I have the, the academics, but I also showed that I was willing to contribute mm-hmm. and, and, and try to make a difference. And I think I, I remember clearly that I think one of the things that stood out on my essay was um, I quoted, um, I don't know if it was Thoreau that said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. And um, and I remember writing on that essay that I was determined that I would not live a life of quiet desperation mm. and I would not take to my grave my dreams. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, nice. I think that that was um, sort of that that spirit that uh, I knew that I was going to try to do something where I was going to try to make a difference. OK. And so um, when I got to Stanford. Um, so how did Stanford come up on the radar? Well, interestingly enough, uh, I was sitting in my in my bedroom and I I was flooded with all of these uh, uh, pamphlets. And this is mm. long before you know you could just do everything online. Right. And I got a pamphlet, and literally, I kid you not, it's and I was uh, the quick story is uh, I got a pamphlet and it just said why Stanford. And I mm. opened up the pamphlet and I kept reading. I was like, wow, this is an amazing school. And back in 1976, Stanford did not have the national reputation that it does now. Mm. So. I was very fortunate. I got accepted in Yale, Cornell, Columbia, and a lot of other mm. um, Ivy League schools. But I, I, I was decided to make, make my decision. And I had even gone up to Yale because I was a city champion wrestler and I was recruited to wrestle for Yale. And then at that point, um, 
um, I told my parents what my decision was, and we literally had a knockdown drag them out, and I'm you know using being hyperbolic here, but mm-hmm. it was a very contentious decision. I mean, uh, uh, discussion about which schools I should go to because Yale had the had the label, they mm-hmm. had the brand back in the late seventies. Yale was you know Ivy League, Stanford. Who's this? Mm-hmm. And I, I I went back and forth. I went upstairs in tears because my parents wanted me to go to Yale, and I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to Stanford. Make a long story short. I came back down the steps with after I composed myself and I said, "Look, you you all to, you guys raised me to if I had the courage of my convictions to move forward." Mm. And I said, "That's the way I believe about Stanford." I said, and I had never been to Stanford. I had mm-hmm. not seen the mm-hmm. campus. I just was going by that. And also, a young lady from Cleveland helped to recruit me. Mm-hmm. So that was how I got to Stanford. And the the quick story is that. Um, after that contentious discussion with my parents, my dad went to his job. He worked at the VA hospital and, you know, uh, they, they're like, Sherman, your son's um, making a decision about college. You know, where's he going to go? You know, he said, well, you know, he's been accepted at Yale and Columbia, but he's going to go to Stanford. And at the <laughs> VA hospital with these doctors, they're like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. your son's about to go to Stanford. Of course, his chest swells out. And mm-hmm. then right. I was also introduced that this is my son, Phil, who's going to Stanford, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got there. Okay. Okay. So my 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 with, with some societal uh, affirmation, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> a little conversion on your dad's part. Okay. Good job. Yeah. Right. Right. Good job. So so when I got to Stanford, one of the first things I did that weekend was I cooked. I made a peach cobbler for like five hundred people. Wow. First first time, and uh, that that feeling when people enjoyed it that mm-hmm. that was sort of planting the seeds. Mm-hmm. And um, so I went through Stanford cooking off and on for people who wanted me to do different things. What so, did you study at Stanford? Economics. Okay. Uh, and um, which, if you f- fast forward to, I'm an inventor now, but that, that journey, mm-hmm. people always ask me, well, did you study engineering at Stanford? I was like, no, I didn't. You know, I'm mm-hmm. sort of a self-taught, autodidactic uh, inventor. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I studied economics, but um, I wound up... Um, uh, all along, my passion for food was, was deep within me, mm-hmm. but I sort of kept putting it off. And um, it was my freshman year at Stanford that my roommate said, Phil, we got to go check out Roscoe Chicken and Waffles. And I said, Chicken and what? <laughs> he said, Chicken and Waffles. I was like, no, this is not going to work. Mm-hmm. Took one bite. It was a wrap. Mm-hmm. I, was, I fell in love with it. And I never lost that taste. <laughs> it took me 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost, yeah, almost 30 years after I took that first bite to open up Fill the Fire. Okay. But along the way, I started doing small house parties, you know, trying a different mm-hmm. concept. Because in back in the in the '90s or early 2000s, no one in Ohio had ever heard of chicken and waffles. Right, right. And um, so that that's sort of the the journey from 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 Stanford to the from you know my childhood days in the kitchen, cooking for people, testing it out, doing little parties, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. eventually deciding. Um, I started off in the basement of the Civic at um, on Mayfield Road, and okay. uh, I had actually written a business plan about Fill the Fire, and mm-hmm. and that was because I was fortunate enough to go to the University of Virginia Darden School, where I got an MBA, so I, had, mm-hmm. I was able to write a, a business plan. So it was mm-hmm. it was I was. Did you write it while you were in school? No, no, I wrote I wrote it afterwards, but okay. it was just something that I I began to realize that this is I my my, my passion was starting to bubble forth, you know, mm-hmm. bubble forth, bubble up, you know, and uh, I knew I had to do something with it, mm-hmm. so. So that's did did the business plan help any? You know, yeah, yes, I'm yes, I'm always it did. torn on that. Yeah, I, I am too. But but what it what it did, did was allow me, and I, I'm a big believer in putting your thoughts down on paper. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, I, I think there's something magical about when you write it out. Yeah. You know, because it, it started off literally handwritten. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's just that 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 process of of, of uh, allowing your your thoughts to come forward and getting it out of your head. I, I just read an article 
on on Business Insider about how, every, how everyone should do a brain dump. You know, every now and again, just to get the stuff out of your head. Some people write journals. Right. You, you mentioned that in your. Um, I do that every day. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so that 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 I think that I think the business plan is just just a good brain dump, and mm-hmm. I think you should do it. Whether you follow it meticulously, I don't know, because mm-hmm. you know things change so rapidly. But sure. I think it was really important because I was able to see on paper whether it made sense or not, and you mm-hmm. know, whether I'm a, am I just talking a good game. So, um, that business plan helped me realize that I think that this this could work, and mm-hmm. actually it was. Um, the the reason I had a business plan was the reason the people at the Civic believed that I was serious because they mm. said, "Well, you know, we're going to rent you the space. Do you have a business plan?" I said, "As a matter of fact, <laughs> I do." I do. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's, right. not, it's not just for for yourself that you write it, mm-hmm. yeah. but other people want to see, you know, what your vision, you know, because not everybody's prepared for the thirty second elevator pitch, right? And I think I think part of it is that you know, I think it, it's. You know, we, we make a big deal about the the thirty second elevator pitch. Can you can you can you distill your idea in thirty seconds? And you got to be able to say it. But I think part of it, the reason you write a business plan is is one it separates people who are serious from the people who are less serious. Mm-hmm. And I think part of one of the things that I've learned is that the romanticism so associated with entrepreneurship is actually sometimes counterproductive okay, because sure. people oh, people yeah. jump in. Believing that it's 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 a cakewalk and right. that everybody's going to be Mark Zuckerberg or mm-hmm. or uh, Jeff Bezos or um or you know or or Steve Jobs now, not not everybody is is that mm-hmm. and most people aren't right. you know so you know if you're serious you have to sort of go through the the, the methodical process of getting your thoughts on the paper and, and seeing if it's serious can, can you help get other people to help you and and go through that process so. The business plan in and of itself doesn't necessarily help you when you open the business, but mm-hmm. I think the process of just going through it can help you distill your your thoughts and, mm-hmm. and help you show other people what it is and help you know bring other people to the table. Because I think one of the lessons that I've learned over the last thirty years is that it's really important to to have people who buy into your vision, and it's not mm-hmm. always the oral tradition that carries it. You know, sometimes yeah. you got to share it in a, in in the hard copy kind mm-hmm. of way. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. So the really, uh, when we talk about uh, signal and noise um, and mindset, how did your mindset, so writing really um, was almost kind of a form of journaling as opposed to road mapping, right? And I'm going to follow A, B, C, and D no matter what. It mm-hmm. wasn't that, and that's, you know, our experiences mm-hmm. is that business plans uh, uh, can, can, they can be part of that romancing dynamic that you're right. talking about but what what do you think that um that writing did journaling and, and we were really interested in that what do you think that process of writing did in terms of of, of the before and after mindset so when you started you had a certain mindset mm-hmm. about the business mm-hmm. right and as that evolved and you moved forward and you wrote and you did and you did some more wrote some more how did it change your mindset how did it help mature and how long did it take yeah. Well, that, that that's the, that's a uh, two part question. So I'm going to answer the first part. You know, the the actual process of writing helped me to to sharpen the idea. Right. You know, because I think when when I you know having never run a restaurant, never been to a restaurant, as I began to show people, one of the things that I had to do was figure out where are my weaknesses. And again, if you're looking at it. On on a, in black and white, you can't escape it, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think it helped to sharpen 
my, my, my own vision of actually myself, you know, to recognize mm-hmm. that I, you know, as, as great as it Fill the Fire sounded, and I, I knew I had the name because that was actually a name, mm-hmm. nickname that I that I taken to Stanford and it stuck, and that's one of the reasons why I, I went with it. But um, seeing, seeing that, that, that evolution that, so wait a minute, okay, I started here thinking that it was going to be, you know, really easy to do it, but then realizing that, you know, you've got to go through this, you've got to, go, you've got to get ABC, and you've got to understand XYZ. So it helped to 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 allow me. I think it helped evolve me as a prospective restaurateur faster mm-hmm. because I had I had to look at the black and white and be honest with myself and say okay. And and actually, I was fortunate enough. Um, the gentleman, the the family that owns Don's Lighthouse, mm-hmm. um, the strange Strang family, um, mm-hmm. but uh, the, one of them went to University of Virginia and they actually offered me a um, a. Um, a free mentorship where mm-hmm. I can go work at one of the restaurants for free. They wouldn't pay me, but I can, I get. And so by having that business plan, I realized that I needed to get that experience. And mm-hmm. I, and I went there and okay. it was, it was six weeks. It was very intense, but at mm-hmm. least when I came out of it, I had a better understanding. And I don't think I would have forced myself to ask that question because mm-hmm. I, sh- I showed it to the strength family and they said, well, you know, we're not going to invest, but we will do the next best thing. We'll give you a chance for you to, to sharpen your skill set. So, again, that's this quite investment. Yeah, it's quite yeah. investment. They, yeah. they were taking their resources Absolutely. and, 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 yeah. and saying, hey, Phil, we'll give you six weeks of crash course of what yeah. it's like to be. And that was the Applebee's out in Hudson or Stowe or somewhere out there. So, so, so that business plan, again, mm-hmm. it, it came into, it, it was very helpful because it helped me to understand better where my weaknesses were. But, again, as I shared it with people, I could get feedback. So, so that yeah, that process was was only able. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I was only able to to participate in that process because I had actually written down my thoughts and and journaled it into the form of a business plan. But when when I'm when I'm picturing when you say weaknesses in mm-hmm. in the context of your story, it sounds like um, gaps in in knowledge mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to skill. Right? There's a lot of things I didn't know. And I started to really realize what I didn't know, and that's move, that's what moved me forward. Is that am I hearing that? Yeah, right? I, I, I would say so. I mean, it's it's, but it's you know, you say knowledge and skills. The the thing about it, what, what, what I think some of the mistakes that people make is that they think that you can drive the business purely on passion. That's right. And you can't. In mm-hmm. fact, one one of the things I tell people is that with. Um, um, with with about business, people come and ask me a lot of questions about you know, hey Phil, how do you do this? How do you do that? And I said, well, you get to the point where you have to be able to understand that you your passion is important, but you can't get emotional about the business. And I think what the business plan does it allows you to remove the emotion. You That's can still right. be passionate right. and say, I want to get this done, but it, you you have to take the emotion mm-hmm. out and say, okay, mm-hmm. this is what I'm lacking in knowledge. This is what I'm lacking in experience. And so if yeah. you can remove, it's like draining the emotion out. And it doesn't, it doesn't remove your passion because passion and emotion That's are very interesting. Yeah. two different things. So, but if, if you allow yourself to do that, then you give yourself a better chance, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the other part about this, I think this is really important. One, one of the things about the whole field of our experience. And you have to put this in the context of 2000, 1999, 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, no one had ever heard of chicken and waffles. Now in 2019, mm-hmm. so yeah. many restaurants have it, it's, 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 right. it's not even funny. But, but um, at, at that point, there were a lot of people who, who literally, and I'm not exaggerating, who literally laughed at me. 
Oh, yeah. He just said that there's no way anybody in Cleveland, Ohio is going to eat chicken and waffles. Are you kidding mm-hmm. me? There's no category for it. Right, right. <laughs> so, so that... that what, I'm back back of a gas station? I'm ready to do, right? So, so, so the, and, and so what, but what the business plan did was allow me to, again, to take that, that negativity and just look at it and say, okay, can, is this, can this succeed? Does it have a chance at doing it? And I looked at it cause I did the competitive analysis. Mm-hmm. There was nothing in that space. Right. And so sometimes you use the business plan to, to, to at least to, to provide some level of support to your passion. Because there are a lot of, you know, as we say in, in, in my neighborhood, there are a lot of haters out there, you know, and they're mm-hmm. going to come at you and, and tell you that it's not possible. It's not, mm-hmm. it's, you can't yeah. do it. But the, sometimes the business plan does afford you some level of support because you, you're looking at it again without the emotion and say, okay, yeah, I know this. I, I know that. I don't know this. I don't know that. Is it still viable? And you say, right. yeah, I think this, this could still go. Let me, let's go. Doug, I want to go back to your, uh, you had a timing question, but. I well, to, yeah, how long the business plan took. Okay, that's right. Okay. So, okay. so I, I want to ask it. I want you to think about it this way. You started the business, you started the business plan someday. Well, mm-hmm. it was one day when it started. Mm-hmm. It had some form of start. And then you opened the business. Mm-hmm. What was that length? Okay. Roughly? So, so, again, it's, the, I wrote the business plan probably, no, no, probably. Uh, I opened up. Fill the fire at the base in the basement of the Civic in two thousand one, and I remember that because my daughter had just been born. Mm-hmm. So um, where's the Civic? The Civic is on Mayfield Road. Oh yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's okay. right there near Lee and Mayfield. It's mm-hmm. now the new 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 revival spirit where um, a certain uh, minister okay. in the who who supports Donald Trump has his church. Oh, that's we, interesting. We, we won't get into that. <laughs> we'll it's a whole other show. Wait a minute. Wow. Wait a minute. Oh, yeah. No, we're not doing something no, no. of, of religion and state. Okay. No, no, we won't do that. But at any rate, so 2001, you opened Phil, and you started the business plan when? I started the business plan in 1999. So two years. Two years. So two How many years. times is it? Give, give me a number. Feel free to be wrong. Mm-hmm. But how many, what did it feel like? How many times did that plan alter or change over that two years over that two years the honest answer let's go with that (laughs) (laughs) no the honest answer probably once or twice because because i i knew because you think about this was a 30-year thought process that when Mm -hmm. i took that first bite i was like oh i've got to do something with it i didn't know what i was going to do with it i didn't know it was going to be full of fire and i was going to do it in cleveland so that 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 process began to germinate in 1990, excuse me, 1977 when I first went into Stanford. So when I decided to write it down, I mean, I had been thinking about it for a long That's time. That's interesting. And so when I finally put, you know, did the brain dump and put it, uh, uh, pencil to paper and wrote it out. And again, this is, you know, long before, you know, uh, the, the, the spreadsheets and all that, mm-hmm. uh, it, 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 I was I was doing it because I had been studying this for a long yeah, time. Yeah, so yeah. when I wrote it, I knew what I wanted to do. So there were some modifications, but the but the overall mm-hmm. uh, 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 thought behind uh, open up fill the fire hadn't changed because I knew that I wasn't going to do just chicken and waffles. I was going to do going back to the original question was with going back to my my childhood memories of watching my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. So I knew my right. my menu was going to reflect what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. So that was. Um, 
uh, part and parcel of, of how I was shaping the business plan because it had to re- it had to, it was fill the fire so it had to be about my experience. You know? I wasn't trying to do Roscoe's and chi- uh, chicken and waffles in L.A. I was trying to do my version of mm-hmm. the the comfort food that I grew up with because mm-hmm. I'm just such a believer in food that and the power of food uh, to to bring people together. But you know uh, our our sense of of, of taste and, and smell with smell being number one. Those are the most powerful memory triggers we have mm-hmm. you know so so i was i was really working towards trying to create that where people would instantly be transported back to their childhood or to a very pleasant memory of, of growing up or with a family mm-hmm. so so that part that's interesting what, what was that was always driving you know i knew what i wanted to do because i said if i'm going to do this it had to reflect my mom and dad in the kitchen it had to reflect what i learned it had to reflect what i had been exposed to because it was all about comfort food. So when I wrote the business plan, it, it wasn't, I didn't, I didn't look at Roscoe's. I looked at what did I want to do with bringing something different. Mm. And, and, and the quick story about that, <laughs> um, from fill the fire at the civic to, um, fill the fire on Shaker square mm-hmm. was that, um, I had opened it up and I, you know, gone through everything that they wanted and I opened up and I just knew, you know, I'm thinking this is such a great combination. Everybody's going to love it. And I'm above a church. They're going to smell the food mm. for the first six weeks. Literally, we might have gotten 10, 20, 30 people. Oh, I mean, and I was throwing away so much food. I was embarrassed yeah. mm. and I was just about to shut it down and just said, OK, this is this is, you know, despite what the business plan said, this isn't viable. When I got a call from John Long at the plane dealer. And John mm-hmm. said, hey, Phil, I've heard about you doing this thing at the Civic. He said, one of your friends, Margaret, uh, said I should check it out because she's from LA. She thinks chicken waffles is great. He said, I'm mm-hmm. coming out this Sunday. Are you going to be open? And of course, I'm like, <clears throat> of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why wouldn't you think yeah. I was going to be open? I mean, and literally, if he, had, if he hadn't caught, that was not going to happen. So right. he came out, he enjoyed it. His kids loved the chicken, loved everything. And that following um, a week or so was later- Was anybody in there other than him? Oh, it was, it was only a handful of people. <laughs> and so they, um, they, they, uh, he called me down, took a picture, and um, wrote the story. And it came out on July 4th of 2001. And the following Sunday, we went from serving 30 people to 300 people showed up. Wow. And, wow. I mean, there was a line out the door oh, before wow. we even opened. I mean, we told it was a disaster. But we, we quickly recovered in the following week. So... Give me an idea of where you're so in that two year process mm-hmm. of pulling the business plan together and then getting into the early stages of of the launch, where are you personally like sounds like you had a family. What were you doing on a daily basis, day in and day out? Like, do you even remember? Oh, you no, may not remember. No, no. no that, Some that, of us don't remember those periods. No, they, no. I, I you were working so hard. Well, but. no. That that that's it. Because I was I was doing um, consulting work. I okay. was I was a, a marketing consultant for uh, two companies during that period before I, before I opened. In fact, okay. when, when I when my my picture made the cover of the. Um, uh, plain dealer mm-hmm. food section. Um, I was fired by the company I was working for because okay. he was like, "Okay, I've been in this business for thirty years and I've never been on the cover of the plain dealer. Here you are." Uh, and, you know, so I got fired. I oh, literally yeah, got fired. Jesus. And 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 oh, so wow, so nice. I I done I done work for a company called Advanced Health Products, and then I done work for um, ThoughtWorks. So those were the two companies that I had actually been doing consulting work. So I was trying to leverage my experience for. I, you know, I'd worked for Ocean Spray. I'd uh, done some other things. And sure. so I was trying to, to do that. And actually, you know, I was in, in doing sales because I, along the way, prior to that whole 
fill the fire thing. I uh, invented the the first deodorant for kids. I was on the cover of USA Today. And the first what? Deodorant for kids. Wow. You know, and it was called Fun and Fresh, and it was it was quite the thing in in in, in 1988 89. Mm-hmm. Was when I that was one of my that was my first entrepreneurial venture. So um, I'd been able to gain some credibility because lots of people uh, saw that article, and I mean I had the product in Walmart, Revco, mm-hmm. Walgreens, Target. It was all over the all over the country. So I know I had to ask you, um, yeah. What so? What was I doing? You, yeah, like what were you doing day in and day out? Right. Okay. So, but but the prior to opening up Fill the Fire in the basement of the Civic, I had spent two years consulting. Okay. And consulting for advanced health products right, right. and um, ThoughtWorks, and uh, that was just leveraging my experience um, with from the children's deodorant and and what have you. So. That day in day out, where you, I'm literally going. I was attending. Um, uh, there used to be an organization called Ohio Venture Association. Oh OVA. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I would go to OVA, pass out my cards, trying to trying to get business so that I could, you know, survive. You know, mm-hmm. so you know, I don't. I'm not the world's best employee. You know, I think <laughs> someone mentioned that in the first. Um, yeah, Jack uh, did. <laughs> so Jack is I, nobody's I'm, employee I'm, but his own. So yeah. you know, I I can do the corporate stick if I have to. I've done it. You know, but so I, that's what I was doing. But I and so while I was working during the day at the last company, ThoughtWorks, I would my contract was I would be there Monday through Thursday, but Friday 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 I had off, mm-hmm. so because I used Friday to prepare for the kitchen for mm. for, for fill the fire. So I was okay. doing that, and so you know still doing what I was supposed to do for that company. Um, and then when the, when the article broke, um, that was my last. Um, Day with uh, <laughs> your last hurrah, <laughs> my last hurrah, and I literally, I can now this I do remember mm-hmm. when um, I got fired, and you know I had no recourse because mm-hmm. I was a, I was an independent contractor, right. you know, doing sales and marketing. Um, I I went up to my favorite place of of, of meditation, mm-hmm. uh, which is some people call it um, um, creepy or morbid, but actually one of my favorite places in the world is top of the Garfield Monument. Oh yeah. And Lakeview oh, yeah. Cemetery. Lakeview, mm-hmm. right. I, that vista is, love that. I love that vista. And I went up there and I said, okay, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. And I went back to the business plan and I said, okay, it's time to, so, so the, there, there's the answer. I had to get the business plan. Um, I had to tighten it up because I said, okay, if I'm going to do this, mm-hmm. then this is what I'm going to do. So I decided, mm-hmm. I looked at the business plan and said, okay, now it's time to go from the basement of the Civic to doing this full time, like both feet in. I'm mm-hmm. not doing it consulting a day and then doing it on the weekends. And so I literally jumped in and just said, I'm gonna go for it. And I began looking for a space and then wound up on Shaker Square. Okay. So that being fired was the was the catalyst yeah, for yeah. saying, okay, you so can't So between do getting fired and finding the space, how long did that take? That didn't take long at all. I, I was fired in July. I kept the 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 uh, Sunday brunch going, and then unfortunately, nine eleven hit. Mm-hmm. That was a big. That was a big setback because literally that Sunday following nine eleven, it was. I don't know if you remember how eerily quiet. There mm-hmm. were no planes in the skies. Yeah, I mean, everybody was hunkering down. Everybody right. was so nervous, mm-hmm. you know. And so, uh, it was only a couple of weeks after that um, 
that um, so I, I knew by December. So that's so yeah, nine eleven hit, and then by December I had signed the uh, the lease to move in to start in January. So we started preparing January okay. and open up at the end of January. So you went from Phil the fired. Exactly. I like that. I like that. Very, very clever. Very clever. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. That, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, I it, it was it was in a sense it was forced upon me, but it, it was a good thing because I, I I was able to trust that you know what what I had written in the the business plan made sense, and that I was able to say okay, if I'm going to do this, then I've given it enough thought, and that I've I've done I've done the the menu concept i've tested it out people love it you know mm-hmm. so now can we can we go full-time um at uh, how many more like you you talked after the plain dealer article how many more times were you in the church uh let's see that survey. was july 4th so by the time 9 11 hit so that's uh two oh, months yeah, september. So, so, so september i was but i was out of i mean business <laughs> dried up i mean literally mm-hmm. it was that, now, that were you were, were you paying the church something for the? Use yeah, we're paying rent. Okay. Yeah, paying rent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. You still have not like what do you, do you remember? What are you doing day in and day out, or is it just a blur now? No, no. I mean, yeah. it, it, like what? Like what's your you getting up, grabbing a cup of coffee, doing you, this? Are you, that? Are, you say, are you saying while I was working because I literally was while you're ramping to get the place ready to open? Oh, well, they, on shaker. Okay, was well, yeah. well, after after nine eleven? Once I got I got fired in yeah. July. Mm-hmm. That so I was barely making ends meet, even though we were doing a good business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And by the time nine um, eleven hit, um, and I knew again I had I had to make that um, uh, that transition. But mm-hmm. but but part of it was literally. I mean, I had a newborn daughter, you know, and trying to right. figure all that out. So it was. It was tough. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it was it, there. There's no way of getting around it. I mean, there was no cash flow because you know nine eleven shut down the brunch, and so went for three or four weeks with no brunch. Mm. So what was I going to do? So fortunately, I had a little bit of money. Sure. I mean, like I said, a little bit of money mm-hmm. to survive, but it, it enough, was enough, right? Yeah, it ended up being enough, just <laughs> enough. But uh, and um, and then once I was able to. Um, to secure a space, then I was able to attract a little bit of capital, mm. and it, it it was that little bit of capital that that started to people said, okay, you know, you're gonna try to take it to another location. I I didn't know exactly where I was gonna go, but I started letting people read the business plan and say, hey, would you do you have a thousand dollars? Do you have five hundred dollars? Mm. Do you have yeah, you know, and literally that that's how how it came about. People mm. putting in a little bit here and a little bit there. Mm. So how are you? So. Uh, one of our mantras is to mind the mind the business. You got to mind your mind. Mm-hmm. How are you minding your mind uh, in the time period that Doug is talking about here? Well, w- one is um, walking. You know, uh, I, f- I find walking mm-hmm. to be very ca- found it and find it to be uh, very calming. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I and that's one of the things about. I don't know if we should if I share this with you. One of the reasons why uh, I I continue to drive for Uber. Um, because for me, Uber allows me to generate cash. You don't make a lot of money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for, sure. for all you entrepreneurs, there's a big difference between income and cash flow. <laughs> 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 you don't make a lot of money for Uber, but you do generate cash. But but for driving for Uber, like walking, it gives me time to, to decompress and to, to think where you know I, I can allow my ideas to 
to sort of work themselves out and sure. to, to, to try to solve problems without working on them. Just sort of, you know, like a lot of people, you know, right. it's, it's that aha moment when you least expect it. Mm. So for me, when, I, when I'm walking, in fact, the Lakeview Cemetery is one of the places mm-hmm. back then where I would go and walk. Mm-hmm. You know, to to mind my own mind. You know, I would take my daughter. Say, okay, sweetie, we're going walking. You know, okay. so let's go yeah. walking. You know, and she was. You know, I would push her. She wasn't. She wasn't walking then, but um, but I would I would put her in a, in a stroller and we would mm-hmm. just go walking around the, um, the um, uh, either Shaker Square or or down by the Lakeview Cemetery. So walking was really important because it, it mm. helped helped reduce the stress because mm. they say it was stressful. I mean, there's there's no getting yeah, around right. it. But but that was and then I, I'm also a big big believer in in uh, transcendental meditation. Mm. You know, trying to find twenty minutes, you know, to mm-hmm. to to do your mantra and um, you know uh, it it becomes as you get older it becomes you would think it become easier, but as I've gotten busier, it becomes that much more difficult to <laughs> do that. But I still I'm a big big believer mm-hmm. in, in 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 transcendental meditation. Mm. I, I think it that that idea of restful consciousness. Um, uh, is 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 very appealing to me, and I think as as entrepreneurs, we need that those twenty minutes, you know, just to sort of decompress where it's kind of quiet. So, minding the mind, walking, and uh, and way back in the day, I used to run a lot. Okay, you know, and uh, that that was also very helpful. But in terms of just on the, on the entire fill the fire journey, uh, walking was a big big part of of what I would do. Both of those you're describing as reducing the noise inside yeah um what let, let's I, I like the the contrast of uh if you didn't do that draw us the picture of what would have happened going forward well, well i i think one of the things about about entrepreneurship is is that it is a, a slippery slope i think what 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 the the, the reason i i, I use that uh, metaphor is because once you get on you know, you're 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 going to go down that hill, and I think what what the difference is is that the 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 walking and the meditation actually reduces the 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 the, the degree or the 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 angle of of the slope. You're still going to go down, but I think it, it sort of mm-hmm. reduces the speed at which you go down because it's really if you think about all the components of a business, you think about marketing, you think about sales, you think about operations, you think about this, you think about that, you think about the regulatory environment. I mean, you think about employees. I mean, it's you're you're you know we're both we're all old enough to remember that guy at the end of the Ed Sullivan show spinning all those plates. Right. You know, <laughs> our job as an entrepreneur is to keep all those plates right. spinning without having them break. Right. And so um, the the thing that I think about what what meditation and walking what it does it, it just it just basically instead of it being like this and you go down the slippery slope it levels it out so you're not going you're still going down but you're just not going down as fast because you're able to process things and think about things and that to me that's the most important that's thing because you, you you've got to pay attention to those and and I'll I will give a nod to um um my my experience in corporate America when I was I, I moved to Boston and in the late 80s and and I was working at Ocean Spray Cranberries and I had mm-hmm. just been a newly minted MBA from the University of Virginia and when I got to my um my uh, review, uh, it was six months or 12 months, whatever it was. And I, I can remember clearly that, uh, you know, I had made some, some great suggestions and mm-hmm. strategic planning and, you know, we need to do this, we need to do that. And the, uh, my boss sat down and said, you know, hey, Phil, you know, we love your great ideas. Great ideas, but you're not so good on details. And mm. I was devastated. Right. I was like, mm. oh, my God. I said, I, you, me? <laughs> not good at details? 
And the reason <laughs> I bring that up is because I made a point after that after that uh, review. I said, okay, you don't think that I'm detail oriented. Now I'm going to show you what it means to be detail oriented. I didn't stay long enough to show them, but actually that was the best. Uh, criticism that I could ever receive right. because it did force me to start paying attention to detail. That's great. Mm. And so, the, but, but what happens is that you could sometimes become obsessed with detail. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and as an entrepreneur, you know, you, you want to sometimes control everything or at least have an influence on everything. So you, and delegating is sometimes difficult, you know. So, so <clears throat> that, that, um, th- that relaxation. It, it allows you to pay attention to details without becoming overwhelmed by the details right. because you still have to 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 know your business mm-hmm. you know in order to mind <laughs> mind your business you have to know your business and well, it's really minding both levels you got to mind the the macro large view literally at the same time you're 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 in the micro oh absolutely, mm-hmm. you're, absolutely. Not, you're not going into one and saying wow that's enough of the other one right you really you're balancing those two out yeah and it sounds yeah. like your your practices your rituals uh really help to do that yeah i, I would definitely agree, agree. i mean it, it's it's one of those situations where you know when you're in the moment um it's kind of hard to to separate the micro and the macro um uh, but looking back, it's clear to me that that being able to slow down, at least you know you you could divert your attention to the micro or the macro, and then get back to the other, and then sort of you know do them at the same time. But that that slowing down, it, it really it, it's been very helpful for me. Well, that's mm-hmm. been a uh, I forget who said it, but you have to slow down to go fast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I like that. Right, as opposed mm-hmm. to going fast, sliding down that hill <laughs> into oblivion. That's interesting. Uh, so, the the uh, the mental side of it for you was really, and then once you started the business, did that continue to be important? Oh yeah, it it, be, it became very important. Um, but but one of the things that that uh, I, I look back and um, I, I I love the signal to uh, noise to signal. Um, um, I don't know if out and is this an analogy or a metaphor? I'm not quite sure. Take but it, it. yeah, <laughs> but, by the end of this <laughs> podcast series, we'll let you know. Okay, okay, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. But what, what's great about that is that, it, as particularly when you're in the service business, um, it's sometimes hard to to keep out the noise of your your employees, mm-hmm. your customers. And, and 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 don't get me wrong. You need that feedback, sure, but sometimes sure. it can be overwhelming. It can be yeah. noise, and yeah. and and it yeah. can be it can be extremely noisy. Yeah. And and if I could go back and, and say what did I do wrong, mm-hmm. is that I did not turn down the volume on the employee noise. Mm-hmm. And by and by that I mean I allowed myself to incorporate that noise and made it a signal, because I then all of a sudden felt that I had to buy into some of the. Mm-hmm. Issues that my employees were dealing with, I had to make their issues became my issues, and mm-hmm. that became yeah. that. That's never a good situation. But I like the way you said that because um, uh, I think it's been our experience too that signal is very insidious. Because I'm sorry, noise, noise. is insidious because it come it, it, it appears. <laughs> it's just like a signal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're like, whoa, I've got some new signals here, and and, and if it's noise. We're really, we're in trouble at that point. Yeah, and, and 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 I and I would just say that I one of the thing lessons that I've learned as as I as I move forward on my my new venture is that 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 is the the, the hardest part is being able to discern between noise and signal, and that 
everyone's noise is not my signal and and I shouldn't feel badly about that that's right you know and and I think but but as as an entrepreneur you know mm -hmm. particularly when you when you have employees who are looking to you for x y and z you know the employment and things like that sometimes that emotional side creeps in and again you 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 can be passionate about your business but you don't have to become emotional about it and I mm -hmm. think that that was the mistake that I made in terms of, of overlooking certain things because I I was I don't want, I'm not trying to sound cold-hearted, but I think I, I became yeah. sometimes too personally involved with my employees. And, and because I have some great employees, but sometimes you can go down that rabbit hole mm -hmm. and they, they pull you down because their their drama is your knowledge. Well, they got a lot drama. of noise to offer. They're bringing mm -hmm. noise every, t every day to every, the table. Yeah, yeah, every day. So let's, let's go forward. You're, so let's talk about your, your, uh, your current venture mm -hmm. that you're excited about. Um, and... and um, so we want to hear about that a little bit, mm -hmm. and also what you're bringing into that, lesson-wise, from a right year experience before this. Okay. And well, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question sure. before you get into that, which is a little deeper. Have you ever thought to yourself, why am I this way? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Sometimes I don't have an answer. Uh, no, you know, I, I think back to, uh, I remember... Because um, it's a very lonely pursuit. Oh, it, it's it, well. I can I can even take yeah. it another level okay. because as a, as an entrepreneur slash inventor, uh, talk about a solitary endeavor. Yeah. Uh, right. Right. Know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you want to dig your grave deeper? There it's you time, go. To become yeah. an inventor it's, too. It, it, become yeah. an inventor too. Why not? Right. Why not? Yeah. But but I I remember distinctly <laughs> when when I was at Stanford, I um I my first sort of entrepreneurial adventure was I put together a yearbook. That sort of that sort of chronicled the the, the experience of black students at Stanford, mm -hmm. and the, the previous attempts had failed, and you know it it then became sort of a, a challenge for me to to get this yearbook. It was called Imani done, and I remember that sense of satisfaction when the book the books arrived mm -hmm. and people had paid oh, yeah. for them, and we paid the, the the we got advertisers and we paid the. Um, the publisher and and the publisher didn't think it was going to happen and I remember that feeling mm -hmm. it was just such a I mean it was like it, it was it was the talk about um, what you call the hungry ghost yeah that, that, I think that's when the ghost sort of sort of crept in you know we talk <laughs> called the entrepreneurial bug yeah. but that feeling mm -hmm. oh my gosh yeah. it, it was it was so exhilarating just mm -hmm. just to hold that book in my right, hand and say wow yeah. Mm -hmm. I did this, you know, mm -hmm. against many, many odds. Right. right. So, so that, <laughs> so you ask yourself, you know, um, you know, why do I do this, or you know, when, you know, it, it's it's. It wasn't why I do this. Why am I this way? Why am I this way? Yeah, but yeah. but why am I this way? I I I think it may have just, um, you know, I I did all this stuff as a kid, and I mowed lawns, and you know, I, I, sure. I, I But but I think it was that moment that I sort of got the bug, you know, okay. I, I, that, that, that the, 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 the hungry ghost sort of, um, visited upon me, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not a religious person by any means, but <laughs> right, right, right. But I am this way because of that experience. Because right, of that yeah, experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah that that it, it was literally, I, I, I can remember sitting in my, I was an RA and I remember getting the books delivered. I was, I was overjoyed. Yeah. I mm -hmm. was overjoyed. Mm -hmm. And and so that that experience I and I said to myself, well I'd like to experience this again. Mm -hmm. So so I began I began chasing that that that, 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 that experience. experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so so I've what, been chasing exits for a while now. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah and, and I know the feeling. Yeah. So so I, I think about it, you know, whether it's the children deodorant, you know, I've been fortunate. I've um did fill the fire, but after fill the fire I did 
Um, I, I invented the world's smallest microwave. It was called the iWave Cube. You know, I I met you years ago at the Makerspace. Yeah, with yeah. Uh, with um, but uh, I didn't have all this hair. Okay, right. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I, I, we were down in the uh, basement of uh, not the basement, but we no, were at, it, was, um, it was. I don't know where that was. It was. It was on the west side, though. I remember it was. It was. No, uh, no, no, no. It wasn't west side. It was over here by. Wasn't it over here by the that hotel that they renovated? The the up there at the corner of um, the Hilton. No, up the. Uh, it's over there in, on un, near University Circle that. Right, right, yeah. right, 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 was right, right. Launch house was the launch. That's house? It, that's exactly where okay, it was. That's okay. exactly where it was. Launch yeah. house. Yeah, it was. But it was, it was a maker space of some sort. No, no, but it's it's where um the the, the uh, flower shop is. Yeah, where, uh, Seglins. Seglins. Yeah, yeah, right, right oh, next to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's yeah, that's I exactly. Didn't, where, I did yeah, meet yeah, you. Okay, I, I was there. In fact, I was I was promoting the the Iron yeah. Cube at, mm-hmm. at at that uh, particular session. Okay. So I've I've done that, and that's when I got my first patent. I got, okay. you know, I got patents here in the United States and patents nice. in China on, on the design of the iWave Cube and, you know, even got it onto well, Amazon and, and got four and a half five out of five stars. So it was okay. well reviewed, but this little thing called Capital and, you know, trying to get the second generation <laughs> oh, yeah. going, you know, that all that didn't work out so well. Plus I was trying, going back to that, I was trying to do everything. I was trying to be the, um, in terms of delivering to Amazon, I was trying to, you know, uh, get the product shipped and delivered, mm-hmm. and do, I was trying to do everything. That was a mistake now. Was on my that part. during Fill the Fire? It was after Fill the Fire because it was oh, after. Let, let's let's go back. Okay. You know, the, the quick journey of Fill the Fire was that I made the the classic entrepreneurial mistake of reading my own press clippings in, <laughs> in two thousand two, and in two thousand three, I opened up a second location downtown. And then it turns out yeah, that, and, and we, we, we don't have enough time to talk about the, 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 the details behind the fact that Phil the Fire failed because my, uh, the investor who's going to lead the downtown endeavor financially turned out to be the black Bernie Madoff. He, he, <laughs> he defrauded people of hundreds of millions of dollars across mm. the country, and I just happened to get caught up in it. Mm-hmm. And he pulled me down with his uh, fraudulent activity. And... And unfortunately, I was the face of Fill the Fire downtown, right, so right, people thought yeah. that somehow that I was that's right. involved. You know, I was yeah. involved, but you know, but that's the way it goes. You mm-hmm. know, you, mm-hmm. you yeah, when yeah, you're yeah. in it, and so that didn't end so well. Hmm. Um, but uh, uh, but make a long story short, so I, I've I've had two shots of Fill the Fire, Fill the Fire during the 2001 and 2003 era, and then I tried it one more time in Beechwood, um, but that was a 10,000 square foot space that was just. With every every month before you open your door, you got a ten thousand uh, dollar utility mm-hmm. bill yeah. that I was not aware was that it was impossible to heat and cool and th- yeah. that again my mistake not doing the research I was just chasing the the the, mm-hmm. the, the ghost um, to try to redo fill the fire and so um, after that I I and um, you never thought food truck. I, I did, but but mm-hmm. but 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 the, but the lure, the the siren oh, yeah, call, yeah, the yeah. siren call, yeah, the big the, call happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah. So but 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 I've I've done the microwave. I've got patents on that, and then I invented a new way to remove snow called the pushel. It's um basic basic Newtonian physics, uh, F equals ma, where instead of shoveling snow, um, I got patents on a way to displace material, including snow, um, and just change the direction of the blade from concave to convex. Change the pitch of the of the uh, handle, and you go to the pushel p u s h e l the pushel dot com. Mm-hmm. You can see the videos, but that that's important because it, before I talk talk about what I'm doing now, is that <clears throat> part of the evolution of, of my own journey was that 
I, for, for many years, I had hesitated in calling myself an inventor. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was always calling myself an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And I never, I never owned the moniker inventor. And, and actually, that's what I'm really good at. You know, mm-hmm. I'm really good at developing new products. I'm really mm-hmm. good at launching new brands. I'm really good at that. Mm-hmm. And so now that I'm going forward with this new thing that I'm able to combine my love of food and my love of technology mm-hmm. is so I'm doing food tech and it's called Spoonable Tech. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm happy to say that as we speak, um, uh, a national pizza magazine is going to feature it next month mm-hmm. in their magazine to say, hey, the debate about how to reheat pizza is settled. This new product from Spoonable Tech, it's disposable, throw it in the microwave 60 seconds, leftover pizza tastes like it just came out of the pizza oven. Um, mm. And so mm. really excited about that. And then uh, working with a... Um, uh, what, 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 like, where were you when you went, there's got to be a better way to reheat day-old pizza in a microwave. I can tell you exactly where I was. <laughs> I was in the kitchen with my daughter and she had put a wet paper towel around a, a slice of right. pizza and was about to put it in the microwave. And I literally stopped. I said, stop. I said, that is crazy. I said, there's got to be a better way. Okay. That was five years ago. Okay. And wow. I, and it's, it's a five-year journey yeah. okay, along along that. So from, from that point where, where I started about to put a slice of pizza in, because if you Google the best way to reheat pizza, you get over 3 million hits. Okay. Uh, just because everybody's got a different way right, how to right, reheat right. it. But now, One worse than the other. Yeah, well, exactly. Right, you, right. Know, <laughs> you know, you, you've got to... Um, uh, put it in a, in a saute pan, cover it, put three drops of water, yeah, and yeah. put it in the oven here, pull it out. Say prayers. <laughs> <whatever>. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. But I mean, but, but, it, but pizza is, is, is America's favorite uh, yeah. comfort food. And in fact, and probably the most reheated piece of food yeah, in the or microwave. eaten cold. <laughs> right, or eaten cold. Okay. Well, if you don't want to eat it. Right, okay, but before I, I got to tell you this one story, yeah. okay, because I was listening to your intro podcast. One of the things that, that, um, that I, I, I will do want to talk about, and it's, it's not to make it somber, but just to keep it real, is that I can remember the, when when I felt that I, I questioned whether I should be an entrepreneur. Mm. And so, you know, I want to talk about that mind mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Um, when when the, the, two t- the two times that it happened was one, that the, the article about Fill the Fire uh, and, and the first location, a uh, second location, uh, being closed down, uh, the title of the article on the Plain Dealer, front page of the Plain Dealer, investors burned by Phil Fire. Mm. And that was a very <laughs> salacious yeah. uh, headline. It went on to explain, and people read it. It ca- caught people's attention, and it right. did explain, but... You know, so but 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 to be publicly right. that was the optics. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, they have, have that have your name associated with that. But the second time was when, un- unfortunately, the the, the I, I can remember the, the when Phil the Fire closed in Beechwood that I can literally f- remember the weight of the world on my shoulders, mm-hmm. and it felt heavy. Yeah. It, it felt depressing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and and I'll just say this in in total honesty. I I felt I didn't know if I could go on. Right. Mm-hmm. I did not know if I could could find the right. strength to get past that dark cloud because I can remember sitting on the deck. Uh, 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 of my 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 mother my daughter's mother's house, 
and 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 looking up at the sky and this this weight just mm. came on me and I just felt myself sinking. Mm. I mean, and I was thinking, is this going to get any heavier? You know, I can't right. breathe. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, this was this was because 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 I was I'm a pseudo quasi local celebrity in some people's eyes that. Uh, yeah. The fact that it closed, I mean, it, it spread like wildfire. And there's nothing yeah. that Cleveland loves than a failure story. And, and so I, you know, I, I really, really felt unfortunately. Yeah. So, so make a long story short, it it, it was really tough. <laughs> so, but here we are, here we are today in 2019, um, and with Spoonable Tech, um, it is a combination of my love of food and technology, and go back to what we talked about off microphone, off camera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the fact that um, what my ultimate goal with taking my, my 30 years of experience in, in the realm of entrepreneurship is that not only do I want to use Spoonable Tech to make it more convenient for people to eat healthy, save people mm-hmm. time, money, and help the environment, which we can do uh, with various applications of the technology. And by the way, it's patent pending. Mm-hmm. Um, is that ultimately I, I do want to use the, the technology to help find a cure for diabetes. And interestingly enough, mm-hmm. that when I tell people that, the first thing they say is, well, Phil, you know, you're not an engineer, you're not a physician. Mm-hmm. Who are you to think that you can find a cure for diabetes? Mm-hmm. And my response is now just, it's automatic. I said, who am I not to find a cure mm-hmm. for diabetes? You know, problem solving is not limited to only people who went to mm-hmm. engineering school or yeah. who come out of the, the medical field. Mm-hmm. If you have a problem that you want to solve, go for it. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what your background. In fact... Thomas Edison never went to light bulb school. school. Right, yeah, light bulb <laughs> right, school. Right. Right. He never went to motion picture school. <laughs> right. Or electrical <laughs> school. There was no electrical <laughs> school. You know, you, know, you, know you, you look at uh, Albert Einstein. I mean, so the, 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 the notion of an autodidactic inventor. In fact, I taught myself how to invent, which is why I was able to do the, the microwave and do the, the pushel and now doing food technology. I've, I've got a system of how to invent right. that I taught myself. So I'm really excited. I feel, I feel better as I approach my 60th birthday about what lies ahead because I feel like these first 30 years prior, um, going back, all the way back to 1988 with the children's deodorant has prepared me for this and I, I'm ready. You right. know? And uh, it, it's come a little bit later in life than, than, than I thought it would, but, yeah. but I'm ready. So tell me, because you know, I've, had, I've had failures before. They didn't end up on the front page of The Plain Dealer. How did you, but I, I can, not that I can empathize because I don't know what that feels like, but I can Im- probably imagine, like, what did you do? do? Do you remember, like, how did you not go, and maybe you did, and you don't have to tell us what you did, but my point is, like, was there a period where you went to a dark place? Did you, did, there was there an aha moment where it was like, I don't, you know, I'm just not, there's nothing I can do about that, so I'm not going to even think about it. Like what? Well, what, I, how did you get through that period? And do you have an idea of like how long it took? Well, it it it, it took it took a while. I, I remember, as I said, the the moment that I sat there on the on the deck, and I mm. literally felt it was a physiological response. Mm. I mean, I felt the this weight. Mm. I felt that I couldn't breathe. Wow. And um. And so I, I thought about, and I, I thought about checking out. I, I thought about, you know, maybe this is just, you know, it's, it's not the most honorable thing to do. But you know, this, this is really tough. You mm-hmm. know, to have, you know, your name and people right. talk. I mean, you know, when you walk into a place and people whisper and they right. point, and you know, mm-hmm. that, that's tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, 
but but the the one the one saving grace um the two the two things that i i relied on one is i was fortunate that that um i i had a daughter mm-hmm. that that i looked at and said okay that that would be kind of Right. up, you know, mm-hmm. not to mm-hmm. do that, you know, and mm-hmm. my my older sister had said that thing, you know, because I, I had public said, you know, this is tough, mm-hmm. you know, to, mm-hmm. to family members. I said, this is really tough. Mm-hmm. Um, but she said, think about Makai. So that was the first thing. And then I remember something reading in the book from Stephen Covey's uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective mm-hmm. People. Mm-hmm. And he talked about the fact that people are going to talk about you. Regardless, mm-hmm. you know, so you might as well do yeah. what you're going to do, because mm-hmm. okay. if, if, if you understand that if you do something good, people are going to talk, if you do something bad, they're going to talk. And if you don't do anything, people are going to talk. So I figured and I said, I said, I said, if I can get through this, if I can just, you know, uh, just get persevere. through this, persevere, take the hits, you know, and I, I had to look and I, it's, it's not an exaggeration. I had to learn or I had to I had to force myself to walk with my head high. Mm-hmm. You know, and not mm-hmm. not succumb to that feeling of or oh, woe was me. And, you know, I feel bad because it didn't work out. So I had to force myself walk straight, keep your head up, and mm-hmm. you know, ju- you know, you don't have to look left or right. Just keep walking straight ahead, mm-hmm. and to the point where once people realized that I wasn't reacting to their um, pointing and talking, that um, that I, it, you know, people still talk, you know, and um, but it, it it got to the point where I just I just didn't care because I figured mm-hmm. that there was something enough there was enough within me to figure out that there's something that I could do that that would allow me to um, get back into the game mm-hmm. and uh, and if I if it meant yeah. and I didn't know at the time if it meant driving for Uber for a while and I've been mm-hmm. driving for Uber for a year and a half mm-hmm. uh, I've done substitute teaching I've worked at Amazon right. and mm-hmm. actually working for Amazon. Um, was was quite invigorating because I got a chance to see uh, Jeff Bezos' dreams, mm-hmm. you know, in front mm-hmm. of my eyes. But yeah, right. but this right. is also in light of in 2016 that I was told that I would not live to see 2019. Yeah, you know, so being diagnosed with prostate cancer mm-hmm. was also very very mm-hmm. uh, challenging. So I had the you know the, that additional health scare, mm-hmm. you know, where you know I was told that you know get your affairs in order, you know you won't make 2019, you won't mm-hmm. you won't see it, you know, mm-hmm. something, and I'm not going to mm-hmm. see my 60th birthday. Um, so to to get through all of that, um, and 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 it was you know working at Amazon, doing something physical, uh, you know, you have to keep in mind I, I had to check my ego at the door because I'm you know right. I, I'm you know I'm a Stanford grad, I'm well, a now you're grad, a, you know, now you're an employee, I'm an employee, yeah. I'm an employee. <laughs> it doesn't know? get any worse than. <laughs> Number right. XYZ, you know, yeah. one, two, what three, was your four. sense of your potential when you were coming through that dark, uh, that dark phase? What was your sense of your potential as you were coming through it? Uh, that, 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 that's a great question. I, I think it, it, it was it was first the realization. And this is not I'm not trying to be funny, but, you know, that old adage, you know, if you see the light at the end of the tunnel, make sure it's not a train coming in the other direction. Right. <laughs> so, right. so once I realized that 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 light was not a train coming in the other direction, my confidence began to grow. Okay, and so that 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 literally because it, it went from it being like dark, right. like totally black, and then once I started to see a little bit light, I said, okay, I had I had to realize that you know, okay, this the, you know, it's it's not moving towards me. You know, I'm moving towards it. You know, and uh, so my confidence began to grow a little bit. And so at, when even when I was diagnosed with cancer, I, I made a decision that if, if this is going to take me, it's not going to take me without a fight. You know, mm-hmm. I had to really, right. you know, draw upon everything. And so um, that that's why I, I was happy to take the job at Amazon, because it's very 
hard labor. I mean, you're lifting boxes, you know, mm-hmm. to, to make Jeff Bezos extremely rich. But mm-hmm. for me, it was cathartic, yeah. you know, because I'm out here, you know, sweating and it was a reminder that I was alive. You know, so I did that. I did substitute mm-hmm. teaching. Uh, then I started driving for Uber. Then I just started driving for Uber exclusively. And and now, you know, as, as we sit here, you know, I, I'm in a position where I feel that I can segue from Uber and, and focus exclusively on, on Spoonable Tech um, in probably within the next 90 days or so. But, you know... And the other thing is that the, the, the writing, I'm going to go back to that piece because you're talking about a lot of internal things, mm-hmm. minding your mind. Was writing a part of the recovery, the resilience? Uh, has it been? Has writing been part of your practice recently in the last year or two? Well, well interestingly enough, um, what I, what I do every 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 week is that I I take a sheet of paper and and this is something I learned in B school and I I take it and I fold it into four sections so you have eight eight blank sheets eight eight blank sections on a you know, double-sided. Right. And, and on the first panel, I put my goals. Then on the next panel, I put my list of things to do in, in pursuit of those goals. And then I, I lay out the rest of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, flip it over and, you know, whatever. And, I, and I'll do that two or three times a week sometimes. And sometimes mm-hmm. it'll be, you know, I might do it once a week. So that is, it's not a form of writing, but it's still that form of sure. seeing my goals of what I want to do. My, my goals include, you know, beating cancer, uh, uh, curing diabetes, uh, uh, all those things are launching Spoonable Tech. So I still have all my goals. All your small goals around. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know? <laughs> then you go Monday to Friday. Right, exactly. Where does get taxes filed by April 15th go? Yeah, right. I have no, 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 no idea. That, that's, on, that's on the list of things to do. I think oh, it's, on, okay. yeah, it's on Thursday. Right. <laughs> yeah. so, right. so, so, I mean, so I, I do, I mean, I've been doing that forever and that, that actually has been so beneficial official because it, it is like a journal. I can go back. Right. You know, I keep these sheets of paper for a long time before they eventually either shred or something. But I mean, I can go back a year and say, well, this is what I was thinking, yeah. you know, and this. So, you know, how, how have I been able to move from that, you know, and how have I evolved since that yeah. point? So, you know, it, 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 so writing is still a very important part, but it's just, it's just not prose. It's just, you know, short goals, right. things to do, yeah. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And as I said, I'll, I'll change it. And as I get more information, I'll put it down, you know. And, mm-hmm. and so with your patents and Spoonable Tech specifically, are you, is your idea to license those patents or do you want to build a company around it? Um, well, if you had asked me this question 10 years ago when I wore young yeah, men's right, clothes, right, right, right. <laughs> I'm like, I want okay. a company here with <laughs> right. I'm, I'm 200 <laughs> yeah. So, so the, the, the goal right now is, um, by, by in five years to, to run this up and, and, and sell it. And so part of the strategy is that I'm not, I'm not waiting on, you know, I, I went to Bentonville, Arkansas last October, made a presentation, uh-huh. you know, drove eight hours to St. Louis, stayed in St. Louis, drove another eight hours to Bentonville, waited 90 days all to get a no. And at the end of that, I was like, oh, hell, I'm not doing this again. I'm not waiting <laughs> on anybody. Mm-hmm. And so now it, the focus is on, you know, I'm, I, the, the people at the, uh, the, um, the pizza magazine, they love it. So we're going to mm. sell it to pizzeria owners. That's right. Then okay. I'm going to sell it B to B to B, B to C. And why, do off, pizzer, off, why do pizzeria? Because, because it's, it's going to be part of a delivery package. When you order your pizza, oh, you get one I of those sleeves. Okay. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 You know, so, yeah. so you can, re, re, you can reheat like your that. pizza. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, so it's B to B or B to C. Right? Yeah, B to yeah. B or B to C. Yeah, right, so right. so that, that's what I'm doing. You know, so, but, but, but the other side of it is that um, 
uh, one of the things that when I talk about trying to cure diabetes is that I've, I've developed this new protocol. And this protocol actually allows people to reduce their blood glucose levels on their own, independently of, of medicine or insulin or anything like that. And it's, I call it the Davis Broccoli Protocol. And I call it Davis Broccoli Protocol, not out of any, uh, I'm not trying to um, uh, put, put my name, it's not out of vanity that I'm doing it, but it's, it's sort of in honor of my father and my brother, my sister, That's right. who have all died, you yeah. know, in, mm. from complications. But, and it's real simple. Mm. Here's the thing, and, and this, this is where I, I get excited. And this is the things that get me going again, you know, mm -hmm. believing that something can happen is that with the Davis Broccoli Protocol, it's simply that, you know, we, broccoli, all the clinical studies have shown that broccoli is an amazing superfood. I mean, yeah. it's like one of the best. Right. But, 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 but the, the paradigm shift in what the Davis Broccoli Protocol is, when do you eat it? Okay. And the, the, what I mean by that is that forever and a day, all vegetables have been considered a side dish. Right. The, 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 the difference with the Davis Broccoli Protocol, particularly if you have diabetes, is that you eat the broccoli. It's the last thing you eat at night on an empty stomach. Mm -hmm. So two hours after you eat your dinner, you eat a serving of broccoli by itself in some olive oil. That's all you eat, and then you go to bed. Every okay. night. Every night. But what's going to happen is like that... You, how soon, be, how, how much before you go to bed? Well, I mean, no, 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 you, you don't want to, you want to wait at least an hour before you go to bed, okay. but no more than two. So if no I go to bed at 11 p.m., I eat it at 10. At 10 o'clock, okay. exactly, exactly. But you don't want to eat it, you don't want to eat your dinner at 7 and then eat right. your broccoli at 7.30. Okay. You want to wait until 9. Right. So, but, but that, that's really important because what, what it has shown, I've, I've done it myself, I've done it with other people who are diabetics, is that sure. it actually reduces what's called the Don phenomenon, where people's blood glucose levels are elevated when they wake up. Mm. And the broccoli, because you've isolated it mm -hmm. and taken it away from a side dish, Interesting. you know, you make it, um, you, you allow the properties to do what it does best. So, but, and so what happens is that if you wake up in the morning and your blood sugar levels are elevated, you can eat broccoli the first thing on an empty stomach and two hours later, your blood sugar level will come down. Hmm. And so this is the paradigm shift to say that no longer is broccoli a side dish. It's what I call an iso dish. Mm -hmm. we, we, we isolate it and, and all the wonderful properties about broccoli are then allowed to your body to absorb it and, and to do what it What's does. What's the best way to eat it? Raw? No, no. Raw causes too much gas. Right, okay, right, right. Yeah. So, so you you want to? Uh, well, here's here, here's the thing: is that I'm I'm you're the first to hear this, but I'm going to to do a video. Well, I'm going to try it because I'm pre-diabetic. Well, yeah, uh, 100 million Americans, or a third of Americans, yeah. are either diabetic or pre-diabetic. An amazing number, and it's only increasing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. here's the thing: uh, I, I use our Spoonable Tech, and with our Spoonable Tech, you can take that uh, our technology, cook it in extra extra virgin olive oil. And put it in the microwave. I kid you not. In a minute thirty seconds, it's the best broccoli you've ever had. Okay. It's perfectly cooked. Hmm. Um, and I'll I'll send you some. Give me your cards, and I'll send you some samples. But but even if you don't do that, you can you can you what you don't want to do. You don't want to boil it because you boil all the way. Really? Right. No. Oh, no, you don't. No. You never want to boil broccoli. Never ever. But so see, how do you prepare it? You okay. Kill it in this. Exactly. You you do well, it. Well, but if you don't have your no finger. no no no. But here's the thing. You what you want to do is you you want to saute it or or steam it. So just you, like cut it up and put it in yeah, a saute. Yeah, saute. Yeah, yeah. Sa I'll saute okay, it up. But right. Never ever ever boil it. You okay. boil it. That's you, what I do with uh, broccolini. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Saute. Yeah, saute. So right. Do the same thing. Cut, and just use the florets. If you just do the florets, mm -hmm. don't don't do the stalk. You know, just right, just, right. just do the florets, and then you you you'll have a much more enjoyable. Sure. Sure. Uh, but but I kid you not. You'll you'll see. Measure your blood glucose. Um, two hours after you eat, 
measure it, then eat the broccoli, then measure it in the morning. If it's still too high, eat the broccoli mm-hmm. in the morning on an empty stomach, then measure it two hours later. Okay. And you will see this arc of numbers. And then what happens is, as you start reducing it, and, and what my, my breakthrough is, is, is what so, I'm and hoping. And part of it, it sounds like part of it sticks. Like, if you continue to do it, oh, absolutely. your, your blood sugar is going to get... It's going to be lower, but but here's the other part about it is that your A1C is, is simply a, a a a picture of what happens over mm-hmm. the last three months. So if you do this for three months, you're going to automatically lower your A1C. Mm-hmm. And you've done all of this without any drugs, insulin, or anything That's like right. that. And mm-hmm. and so it's non-pharmacological. Anybody can do this. And mm-hmm. what I'm hoping is that enough people do it, so then people will go to their doctors and say, "Hey, doctor, do you know about the Davis broccoli?" Protocol. This mm-hmm. is what happened to me. These are my numbers now because most people don't see their doctors except right. once every four months. Mm-hmm. We see our we see most people see the average person sees their doctors three times a year. In Japan, it's eleven times a year. Mm-hmm. Big difference. So what I'm trying to do is share this information. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm not. There's there's nothing. There's nothing. I I just want to see people get their get their numbers under right, control. Right. And if it just so happens that because Spoonable Tech makes it more convenient for you to eat broccoli, mm-hmm. that's a bonus. But you can do this. Without without consulting a, 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 a pharmaceutical rep, mm-hmm, <laughs> you, know, right. you know there are no drugs, so it's not mm-hmm. FDA. And it, see, you do all the research. I kid you not, broccoli can help with diabetes. Broccoli can help with hangovers. Broccoli can help with um, what else? Um, there's so many different things. Okay. And, and 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 my my whole thing, uh, it can help with alcoholism. It can mm-hmm. help with um, uh, so pay cravings. Pay are you talking about cravings or? No, what well, I'm saying here's here's the thing is that uh, alcohol is nothing but a shot of sugar into, sure. into oh, your bloodstream. Yeah, yeah, right. So w- what we're what we're doing with the broccoli is reducing the impact mm-hmm. of that sugar rush that you get from either the hangover or that craving. Right, right. So so if yeah. you eat broccoli on a regular basis, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're you're controlling and you 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 will you will you will be able to judge for yourself how much less you crave mm-hmm. the alcohol. Mm-hmm. And but particularly if for those people who 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 do heavy drinking. You know, you you always have that hangover issue, but if you if you treat a hangover as like a miniature diabetic attack, because again, it's just sugar going into your system. That's how your body metabolizes mm-hmm. alcohol. Then the broccoli by itself, again on a, on an empty stomach, mm. two hours after your last drink or first thing in the morning, you actually will reduce that because that's what the broccoli does on its mm-hmm. own. You know, again, so I'm I'm not inventing no no, this, no, 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 no. But I just I just change the paradigm of when we eat it. Right. Yeah. You right. Know? And so you eat it by itself. No, 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 no less than two hours after you eat, and no more than an hour before you go to bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Right, right. Fascinating. So, yeah. Fascinating. So, well, so and, do a follow and, up in a year. Yeah. That. <laughs> well, but here's the thing. No. Here's here's the great thing. This this is what's so exciting about it is that you will see results literally within a day. Okay. So so it's, no, it's, I know that. I'm just saying you once you get like a critical mass. Oh yeah. Yeah. So 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 that that's that's my journey. You know, as as an entrepreneur, inventor, inventor, entrepreneur, uh, and as I sit here before you, uh, I'm I'm excited about the future, and um, you know, thank thankfully, you know, technology and the, the good people at the Cleveland Clinic, you know, I'm alive in 2019, so I have a shot at living till you know 80. You know, I have a shot. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I could get hit by a bus walking out of here. You know, mm-hmm. but right. at least I, you know, on paper, right. you know, I have a shot. So right. my. My my vision for the next twenty years of my life, I'm really excited about that. That's what great. what sort of uh, well, I don't know. I mean, you 
dispelled a lot of great learning and, and wisdom here, but is there anything else that for the creators, producers, innovators out there that you want to kind of communicate with them about? Well, yeah, I, I think part of it is that the, the, the creative process is, is like anything else. It's imperfect. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there is no one way to do it. But the most important thing is to try, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and and understanding that if, if you can remove the romanticism about it, if, if you really see that you can make a difference or you have a better, um, uh, you have a solution to a problem or you, you think you thought of something that improves the quality of life, then 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 put forth the effort to do just that, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. I, I think. You know, everybody expects it to be, you know, that it, there's some type of cookie cutter approach. No, there's nothing perfect, but there's no perfect mm -hmm. timing. There's no, you know, well, I'm going to wait until, no, just try it. That doesn't mean you have to give up your job, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, but you can still put forth the effort to bring that, um, uh, uh, that, that idea and, and, and create a reality for that idea, you know, because I think a lot of people, they, they put their own limitations. Well, you know. I'm not, I'm not ready or the timing is right or this or that, you know, just start the process. That's, right. that's part of it. Just start, start you know, where you are. start where you are and, mm -hmm. and, 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 and just start moving forward. But one thing I will say to everybody who's listening is that, you know, as good as you think is your idea is the first thing I tell all my, my, my friends when they come feel, I got this great idea. Mm -hmm. I said, before you tell me, Google your idea because as smart as you think you are, there's somebody else that might be just as smart and you'd be surprised how many people have thought of what you're thinking. So, you know, save yourself a lot of time. Mm -hmm. But if you have, if you found no one has done what you're doing, then take the next step. But Google your own invention, your new idea, make right. sure that it is unique as is new and that no one's ever done it. So where can people go to kind of keep tabs on, is there a specific website? Yeah, we, we will have our website up and, um, 30 days at spoonabletech.com, S-P-O-O-N-A-B-L-E-T-E-C-H.com. And also, um, I can't... I can't can I find Phil Davis on LinkedIn? Uh, you find Phil Davis on LinkedIn, but okay. you can also send it to spoonabletech at gmail.com. That's the easiest way to okay. reach me, spoonabletech at gmail.com. But also, um, I, I, can't, I can't reveal uh, all the details, but um, if, if everything works out, then more people will know about it because of a certain... Um, TV show. That's oh, all I can good. say. Okay. Okay. There you go. Well, we're gonna. He did a podcast to get prepared for the TV show. Obviously, we're gonna. We're gonna. I like being that. the you know guinea pigs. We'll do some follow up. Yeah, we will. We will. Oh, we'll, we got we'll that be... and, and the broccoli follow up. Yeah, the broccoli. No, no, follow -up. You, yeah, you got. You got to send me send me an email. I, I will. And, and, and just, I got your and, email. And just and just just try it, and it's it's amazing. It, okay. it really really worked. And again, it's it's. It's just information I'm passing on for people to, sh to share. And, and you've got to just promise that you'll share it with someone else. Because oh, yeah, part of it is that, I mean, one, one last thing is that going back to the whole mindset of the diabetic is that, you know, I am going to start a support group on Facebook called Diabetics Anonymous. Okay. So we talk about food. We talk nice. about information. We talk about accountability. Mm -hmm. We talk about technology. And then we just, so those are like the first five days, you know, we just talk about those things. But mm -hmm. I, I think... In trying to help yeah. diabetics with that psychological side of a sugar in the right. you know, I, I want to create a support group, you know, and I'm fortunate that I'm not diabetic, even though I'm predisposed to it because mm -hmm. of my family and my genetics. But I, I really wanted to, to get that going. So I, I formed on paper Diabetics Anonymous, but it's just more it's open to anybody who wants to join the group mm -hmm. and um, and they just um, 
and and we just try to help each other. You know, right. it, whether you have a family member that's dealing with it or it's yourself. But I really wanted to create that. It's just so important mm-hmm. that what you said about the mind, and I think we don't pay enough enough attention to the the, the psychological aspects of a disease mm-hmm. like that. Because part of the challenge, particularly um, culturally, is that when you, if you have a disease but you treat it like a condition, mm-hmm. you're you're you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. You know, mm-hmm. so if you treat it like a like a disease, but understand that you need support to help manage that disease, mm-hmm. then you might do it differently. Mm-hmm. And so, so I'm I'm treating diabetics anonymous like alcoholics anonymous. You mm-hmm. know, it's a disease. Twelve step program. Yeah, just mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. you know, nice. we we we'll just get people to to talk about it, get it out, mm-hmm. look for resources. You Great. know, so so anyway, so that that leave that on on a right. positive note. So good. Well, thank you. Phil. Thank you. This thank has you. Been awesome. Thanks, Phil. Thank you very much, Doug. Our Jack, first, I appreciate it. Yeah. First official interview podcast this was uh exceeded all expectations absolutely Definitely. so uh for craver and uh jack recuto phil davis thank you thank you for uh helping us kick it off all right it's my pleasure it's been an honor gentlemen thank you so Anyways, much thank you this is podcast four of noise to signal and interview number three. And I'm going to let Jack introduce our guest tonight, who he has arranged to join us. Don Greenberg, welcome. Thank you. I met Don at the uh, Entrepreneurship uh, Association at John Carroll, uh, where I gave a talk, and he's talking next month. Oh, no, this month. This month. In April. We're in April. So April. don't miss and it. And that's not an April Fool's joke either. No. <laughs> <laughs> don't miss it, even though you're not invited, because it's a, it's a private group, <laughs> and no one else can join except members. But yeah, you right. will speak about something that uh, you are yet to define. Uh, I'm going to speak about innovation. Yes. This, this oh, good. Month. Good, good. Um, you've been an innovator. Um, Don has had a really... Um, Really great, a great story, a series of stories as an innovator. What I like about your story is the fact that it crosses different um, uh, sectors or industries, right? Because mm-hmm. you've been in education. Mm-hmm. And so how many people, Doug, do you know who have gone from education to chocolate? Uh, zero. We have it right yeah. here yeah. tonight. We, we have number one. Don is here with that. I can that. tell you, my wife is much happier with chocolate. Education. <laughs> 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 so would I. So would I. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so uh, uh, start with the story. So you're you're a uh, native uh, Chicagoan. I grew up in Chicago. Spent the first uh, 19 years of my life in Chicago. Beautiful Chicago. In fact, uh, it's still my favorite city in the world. What in nineteen? What did you think you were going to do? Um, I was already doing it. Actually, at nineteen, I had a full time job working for a lighting manufacturer, working for two guys who had built a company, a very large track and recessed lighting company. They sold it to a conglomerate at the time, which was McGraw Edison. Uh, they waited out their non compete, and then they started over. Mm-hmm. Uh, six months in, they were looking to hire a salesman, and I applied for the job, lied about my age, and I was actually 17 and out of high school, and uh, waiting to go to college, trying to amass some money to be able to not just buy beer, but to uh, actually pay my tuition, and uh, found this great opportunity, and 
told the guys I was 18, and after a series of interviews and a very long story in between, um, I got the job and worked for a couple of years in Chicago, and they sent me at 19. I was going to California to become the West Coast uh, director of business for this company. So building the business. Literally from the ground up, uh, rented a warehouse out there, hired warehouse people, bought phone systems. I mean, crazy stuff I had no business doing, uh, but didn't know any better, didn't know I shouldn't be able to, and just kept plugging away. And uh, it was a, a ton of fun, uh, but it was, uh, you're also 19 years old, living in California, never having lived on your own before. It was, uh, a real world experience. Were they, uh, were they, um, what was the relationship? Were they advisors to you? It's really interesting. Bob Fremont was a gentleman who owned the company and, and Bob was a very handsome six foot two movie star type. And Bob had started Halo, which was the original company, oh. uh, with $50,000 and sold it for I don't know how many millions that long ago, which is, I can't yeah. imagine what it is today. Uh, but Bob would come off the plane. He, Bob had a house in Palm Springs. So I was a stop on the way to Palm Springs. Oh. <laughs> Bob would fly out to California. I'd pick him up at the airport. And again, I was pretty naive at that point. Bob would come off the plane, first off the plane. And those were the days when you could actually go back yeah. and go to the gate. Bob would come off the plane and he looked like a million bucks. Mm -hmm. Beautiful jacket on, not a wrinkle in it. I would get off the plane from Chicago. I looked like I'd been through the wash yeah, yeah. and never went through the dryer. I finally realized Bob's flying out first class. Right. And I said, you know what? I like the front of the bus. I'd like to get to the <laughs> point where I could be in first class. So Bob would spend a day with me about a day every six weeks. Okay. And uh, that was pretty much it. Was he a mentor in a sense? He was. I mean, we, uh, this company went public. Okay. And uh, through the process to sit next to him and a couple of his other key folks who were there was just a fascinating. I didn't realize how lucky I was at the time. Right. I never went to college because of that. Yeah. I figured this is, I'm going directly from high school mm -hmm. into an MBA program. And I watched them mm -hmm. not only figure out how to capitalize a business, how to capitalize growth, how to put all of that together, how to market and create marketing for that, and how to leverage all of that up and eventually take the company public. And Totally MBA. Total MBA, and yeah. but uh, but real hands on. Well, actually, MBA. not an MBA in that yeah, sense. Well. <laughs> it was actually hands on so instead of a textbook. Was right? there a time in your, you know, growing up, or at some point that you said, you, kind of knew you were going to head in this direction? No. Here's what I knew for sure. What I knew for sure is my family didn't have any money. Okay. So what I knew for sure was I always had to think. I figured I needed to find a way where I could always make a living. Sure. I've always been able to meet people and feel very comfortable with people and okay. hopefully make folks feel comfortable and with build me. Rapport. Build rapport, build a relationship, um, and learn. Mm -hmm. I'm a pretty good student. Uh, I, so what I knew is I needed to figure out a way to make a living. I always felt that if I could figure out how to get some sales experience, mm -hmm. that would be a driver for making a living. Whether I'm selling cars or I'm selling houses or I'm selling companies, it would give me a foundation that would always enable me and always enable me to pick up the phone and say, when they ask me what experience do you have and what are you good at, I could always say sales. Mm -hmm. So that was the driver. The rest of this came along as a result of figuring I'm going to get a sales position. 
they must have recognized something in me where they were pushing me out to say, go and do this. You're going to go do that. You're going to, and mentors, um, they were more trusting and they had so many things going on. Well, they wanted you to do business development and you wanted to learn sales, which you were already good at because you're already lying. I mean, you, the, the joke about sales is yeah. that, right? You know, if you can lie, you moving. can say, right, lips are moving. Because you lied about your age to get in to start with. So you had strength coming out of the box. It was great. <laughs> it, it was, it's a, there's, a one, there's one guy who I really, is, I've met, who was my true mentor. His name was Lowell Goon. And, and I've lost track of Lowell. I'm assuming <laughs> Lowell has uh, gone to the great land mm-hmm. of the departed. But Lowell had Lowell was the consummate salesman. He was truly a salesman. I remember driving along with Lowell, and Lowell smoked cigars. That was the days when smoking <laughs> in the car was cool. And oh, yeah. Lowell smoked cigars, always had a lighter, could not find his lighter. So he pushed in the lighter in the car, <laughs> took it out, lit the end of his cigar. He had a sunroof, which at that time was very cool. Mm, yeah. Not thinking, because he's talking to me, he took like it was a match and threw the lighter out of his sunroof. <laughs> Never to be seen again. So Lowell, but Lowell was a real salesman. Yeah. And he really taught me how to sell. I learned from the other guys how to do business development and how to be an entrepreneur. Right. That it was more than just about making a sale. It was about understanding what the customer needed, how to offer them a solution and today we call it solution-based selling Mm -hmm. but how to offer them a solution back then that they didn't even know they needed Mm -hmm. and we did we offered them an alternative to their product line they were currently carrying Mm -hmm. and figured out ways to make it just so desirable they had to have so how big did that business grow that business when we went public was about 400 million dollars and that was four years later yeah. Five years later. So what was the name of the company? Juno Lighting. Okay. J-U-N-O. So wow. that's the name of the company. But it wasn't Where, where did they experience. sell the products? They sold the products to electrical distribution, lighting showrooms. Okay. Uh, contractors, electrical contractors right. were the primary user. And I'll just give you a very quick story because this is, I tell this mm-hmm. story a lot because it's so important. Every, everybody, when you're selling, you, when you're going out and you're doing business development, you always, people say, well, I hear no so much. And you have to imagine no is really not yet. You've got mm-hmm. to figure out a way to make no into yeah. not yet. Mm-hmm. So I was uh, first first electrical distributor I ever went to sell. I bring in my big sample bags and I sit down and I make the full presentation. The gentleman's name in South Howland, Illinois was Harry Decker. That's going back a long time because I'm an old guy <laughs> at this point. Harry looked at me and he listened to every word I had to say. Nice guy. But Harry was a businessman, a very Mm -hmm. successful electrical distributorship. He said, I'll tell you what. I have uh, a couple of customers who I'd like you to show this to. If they like it, come back and see me. Right. So one was called South Holland Electric, South Mm -hmm. Holland, Illinois. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember the gentleman's name, but I got there one day about 8 o'clock. Places locked, 8 o'clock in the morning, places locked up tighter than a drone. Next morning, I got there on a Tuesday because I did this was a whole week process. On a Tuesday, I got there at 7. And you can see where this is headed. Finally, on Friday, Friday. I got there at 3.30 in the morning. Right. 3.30 in the morning. I figured I am just going to sit here and wait for him to come. Right. Because I knew he came every day. (laughs) Right. So I did. I sat there until he came. Sure enough, 4.15. 
The truck pulls up. I then flick my lights and, and open the door and I open up and say, Harry Decker sent me. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, you're that recessed lighting guy. I've been expecting you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's he, he opens the door up and we go in and he listens to my 15-minute presentation, which was my electrical contractor version of the presentation. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he said, I like this. He goes, you tell Harry I'll take a gross. No kidding. And I said, well, wh- I have a better idea. Would you mind writing a purchase order for that? Oh, yeah. And let me take it into Harry. Right. And he said, I'd be happy to. So he did. Wow. So the rest of the day, then I was up so early, I'm like, well, there's nobody really else to talk to. <laughs> I went over to Harry's and I followed his truck around to the truck's first five stops. Okay. For deliveries. Good. Right. I then circled back That's and went right. and sold those five people That's right. each yeah. some of what I had to offer. Right. I walked into Harry mm. with sales for with already pre-sold <laughs> for five hundred. That's funny. And Harry gave me a stocking order. I wow. went back to my boss and he said, How did you do that? Mm-hmm. And I said, I didn't know you couldn't. Right. <laughs> if you get up at three, yeah. what's impossible? Nothing. Yeah. Do you even like remember that moment where you're like, I do. you know, I got this time. I'm going to go follow the trucks. I do. You do? Yeah, I do. Because, you know, part of everything that you do yeah. should be an adventure, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what makes it fun. And I thought to myself, if I could sell one of Harry's customers, right. I could sell a whole bunch more. But mm-hmm. how am I going to find out who they mm-hmm. are? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Let's go find out where he makes deliveries. Mm. Now, wow. today they most a little reverse engineering. There. Yeah, a little yeah. reverse engineering. But uh, again, I wasn't I wasn't burdened by the curse of knowledge. Mm. I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know you couldn't do that. So yeah, it's lots of. Fun. So are you still nineteen then, or twenty? I'm actually at that point seventeen years old. Wow! Yeah. Wow! So what was the let's let's move forward yeah, a little bit. This that is interesting because you started so damn it's a good young. Story. <laughs> Jeez, it's a, it's a good story. Um, so the uh, so the the, the uh, entrepreneurship experience you've had yeah that's been uh, one that is like prototypical or or uh, maybe the best example if you will of I had to really go through a lot of of uh, noise <laughs> to get the signal I had to yeah. go through a lot of I had to go through a lot of ups and downs and twists and turns to get to the point where I came out upside right and I was able to make something good happen. Yeah, it's, so the next venture, because by that point, when I left this company, I was uh, 22 years old. And at 22 years old, I knew everything. Just ask me. <laughs> I, I knew everything. So I bought a, uh, bought a business. I bought a retail small wholesale lighting showroom business in Chicago because hmm. I knew everything. At that okay. point, I moved back to Chicago and bought this business. And I promptly ran it into the ground. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Right into the wow. toilet. Yeah. Right nice. into the toilet. Wow. It did take me two and a half years to do that. But I wrote it, it right down the toilet. Lost all my money. Uh-huh. Um, lost my confidence. Lost all kinds of things. And uh, it was just part, I, when I looking back on it, it was uh, it's part of that education. And yeah. what it really taught me, frankly, is that everything I do is an education. 
Mm-hmm. So as you walk away from failures, and, and life is not a straight line. Um, entrepreneurship, noise to signal is not a straight line. Mm-hmm. And it's sometimes the noise comes back yeah. and the signal gets less clear right, right. Uh, and the noise becomes dominant. And you have to figure out a way to quiet the noise and move on. Right. And at least in, in my career, uh, and, and I've enjoyed learning about the noise because the noise is often where opportunity lies. Mm-hmm. If you listen to it, that's interesting. You have yeah. to kind of listen to the drumbeat in that noise. What is it? What is it telling me? What am I? And, and today they call that a business pivot. Right, back, right, then, right, right yeah. back then we called it noise. Right. <laughs> right? It was right. static. It was noise. Right. Today it's a pivot. But you have to listen to that drumbeat uh-huh. in the noise to get to right. the clear signal. So it's listening. What is the noise telling us? Yeah. Right. What is the noise what, what, what uh, lesson before we leave this uh, yeah. scenario, the uh, disaster in Chicago, uh, what lessons came out of that for you? Well, so what came out of it for me was you have to really listen. You have to listen to people other than yourself. Which you weren't doing. Which I was. Because I knew everything. You knew everything. I was so smart. Everything. You had nothing to listen to. I graduated high school early. I got jobs. Every job I ever wanted, I ever got. I mean, everything was gold. Yeah. I never had a problem. The last thing you needed to do was listen. (laughs) Right. Why would I listen to anybody? (laughs) Just for some perspective, when you left that first uh, job that you got out of... High school, just very soon out of high school. Obviously. Actually, graduated in three years. Okay, I did so. So, um, was there had they sold it? And you decided to move on, or what was kind of the point where you said, were, you know what, I'm going to go. I'm not a corporate guy. I'm okay. really not. I'm so they had not, sold the business. Yeah, yeah and okay. I'm just not a corporate guy. Right, right. I know that about myself. Okay. Um, today, I describe myself as a really crappy employee. <laughs> a really good consultant, but a really okay. crappy employee. A really right. good entrepreneur, but a crappy employee. Well, there's no such thing. It's an oxymoron to yeah. say a really good employee who's also an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah right. It, it, it doesn't. It's it doesn't, right. You're yeah. absolutely right. Jim. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, but um, what did I, I, I? So I learned. I learned a lot about uh, a lot about that. Listen to listen to others. Um, put other people around you who are uh, smarter than you that you really don't know everything. Mm-hmm. I also realized how much I didn't know. It sounds easy. It sounds flippant, I guess, to say I didn't go to college. Mm-hmm. But not going to college missed some of that foundational element around finance and around uh, business management that mm-hmm. I just didn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, I also learned to forgive myself. How because, so? Yeah. Because, you know, uh, entrepreneurs... Uh, and, and again, I consider myself an entrepreneur, you, you, you become so wrapped up in what you're doing mm-hmm. and you will try to find a way, by nature, you're going to find a way, you believe you can find a way to be successful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At some point, you gotta, somebody's got to slap you across the head, either the bank does <laughs> and says you're out of money and by the way, you owe us all of this. Um, your significant other will, who says we're done putting money into this <laughs> and we're, we're, you're, we're, we don't have any more. You're, you're taking us through bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there are lots of signals, if you will, around that. Uh, but you learn to forgive yourself because um, the tendency is to beat yourself up because how could mm-hmm. I not have been successful? Right. This was the world's greatest idea. Mm-hmm. I worked as hard as I could work. I, I did all the right things, quote unquote, right things. And yet I'm staring at a zero dollar checkbook 
You're right. for my business, <laughs> and I've just had to lay everybody off. Mm. So what is I, um, so what does that look like? The forgiveness, the self forgiveness. Uh, I'm uh, forgiving myself because I was like so stupid, and I'm just going to move on. Or what form did it take for you? Oh, it took a long time, and it still does actually, because not everything is a success. I mean, even today, not everything's a success. We mm. invest in companies, and and you know some are uh, successful and some aren't. That's the nature. That's what we do. Well, yeah. We, we don't invest, know. Whether you're investing capital, or you're investing your time, uh, or you're investing your talents, mm-hmm. you're still investing something, and you think you expect to get a return. Right. But you don't. So you have to, you have to learn to say, you know what, it's okay. And to walk away and say, I've learned something. Here are the things I've learned. I'm going to take those to the next opportunity. I need to be open and open myself up mm-hmm. to the next opportunity. Otherwise, entrepreneurs often become who are who have not succeed succeeded in a current venture often get closed down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you have to talk with them because I do some turnaround stuff. Mm-hmm. And even that, you've got to talk the entrepreneur through. Um, a, a, an eye-opening, heart-opening, if you will. Yeah. I don't want to get too ex- esoteric here, but a heart-opening op- experience so that they can let the world come back in. That's right. And That's really right. get out there. Otherwise, if they just shut down, they they will never That's be able to move forward. They yeah. become an employee. Well, they do. Yeah. They do. They, they, they're looking for somebody to be their boss. Save them, yeah. To save them. And yeah. that's hard. So I've, I learned a lot of that. And I've learned different parts of that and different and, and parts of it again, over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, you've got to leave yourself to forgiveness and say, all right, if I'm really going to move on, yeah. I've got to forgive myself and get my self-confidence back mm-hmm. to move on to the next So thing. So do you remember exactly how you were able to do that? Did you journal did you what did you do to like you know because that's a very difficult you're sitting I would imagine you're sitting somewhere you got all this inventory the banks said no I just fortunately in that case it wasn't the bank I was my own money okay so so it was your own money but whoever's money it was it's it was probably harder if it was your own money Right, and and you're looking at inventory, unsold inventory, whatever it was. Yeah. How do you like, uh, like, get, get back on your feet and and get back up and move forward. So every so here here's advice I give to everyone. I always say on your way up, make sure you treat everybody with respect, mm-hmm. because you never know on the way down. Somebody <laughs> might reach out and grab you before right. you hit the bottom coming down that ladder. I see. Okay. So I was fortunate in that case. Um, and I do try. And I'm sure that there are people who have worked on my teams over the years who don't have kind words. Because I always believe they want it as much as I do. Right. <laughs> That's what we all yeah. do. We all do, right? We yeah. all do. When they they're... don't, and they don't take that same amount of interest, and they don't mm-hmm. take that same amount of, of commitment, mm-hmm. uh, you question yourself first and them second. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, right. But but through that, you know, you you you, I've had people over the years who have said, as I'm coming down the ladder... They've reached their hand and they've stopped me. Yeah. And they've said, why don't you do this? So I'll give you an example in the lighting business, okay? Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting in this lighting showroom. The place is closed. I'm mapping out what am I going to do. I'm going to put a big banner up. I'm going to take a few ads out. I'm going to run going out of business sale because, you know, two greatest sales. Grand, grand opening <laughs> going out of business. Right, right, yeah. right. I'm going to run a going out of business sale and I'm going to try to recoup what I can. 
And uh, during that, one of the companies we did a ton of business with happened to be in Chicago, who was in the lamp business, portable table lamps. Okay. And I called him up. I said, you got any closeouts you want to get rid of? <laughs> he said, well, yeah, I've always got closeouts. I said, I want to buy them. So uh, we worked out a deal. I bought the closeouts. We just sold a ton of them. Mm -hmm. huh. And he said, you know, you're like the one or two lighting showrooms we've got in the country. The rest of our business is department store furniture store. Mm -hmm. He said, come work for me. Mm -hmm. And show me how to do this. Right. So huh. I did. I went to work for him. We turned in basically was probably, I don't know, $100,000 business into a $2.5 million business in 18 months. Wow. At that time, it was a lot of money. But yeah. he was, mm -hmm. David, his name was David Marcus. David was kind enough to reach his hand down mm -hmm. and pull me in. Yeah. Now, understand, he wanted me to do something sure. that was going to drive yeah. revenue for his business. He was smart enough to recognize an opportunity and, right. and somebody who was willing to to right. put the energy into being successful. And right. mm -hmm. So we built a national sales force. Hmm. Um, and we created a business out of it, which turned out to be 50% of his revenue hmm. over a period of time. And mm -hmm. uh, again, I said earlier, I'm not a corporate guy, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I'm not. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the, it turned into a corporate job, so mm -hmm. I left. But okay. the point being that David, right. David was kind enough to reach out and, mm -hmm. and stop me. So, well, but it's also, too, to me, it's, a, it's, it's where you create your own opportunity. You may not know it. The harder you work, the luckier you get. Right, right, yes. right. Yeah, it's absolutely yeah. true. Yeah, it's and where true. you know, you yeah. saw an opportunity to sell some of his clothes out, and you were able to do it, and he recognized that. Yeah, yeah. and when yeah. we were, we had a track record at that point. So everybody mm -hmm. wants to know what you've done. Based on that, they decide what you can do. Right. The question you have to ask yourself, and that's part of the the, the noise to to signal is, what do I want to do? Yeah. And as you evolve over a period of time in your career, you start to hopefully gain some clarity mm -hmm. around what you want to do yeah. and mm -hmm. what you're really good at. Um, that took a long time for me to mm -hmm. figure that what I, what I was really good at mm -hmm. um, and understand what I wasn't or didn't, more importantly, didn't enjoy doing. Right. Mm -hmm. and, well, and see, that's the, there's two ways to go wrong and one way to go right with that. I'm doing something I like to do, but I'm not good at it. Or I'm doing something I don't like to do and I'm really good at it. <laughs> You've got to have the two that you're saying. You is I'm, I'm good at it and I like to do it. That's called balance. Yeah. That's the, that's the word that I always look mm -hmm. at and, and visualize as balance. You've got to find balance. And that's life-work balance. Um, that's even your own energy balance. Are you, are, do you get, if you have a, you get really emotional about things and you become angry about things, how do you balance that off? And, and calm yourself down and get back to center so that you can make good, strong That's decisions right. and listen to people. Because you can't listen to people when there's a car crash going on. Yeah. When there's a car crash, think about it like that. Right. If you hear the screech of brakes and the crash of metal and the breakage of glass, you're not, you're right. not thinking. Yeah. But after that, yeah. everything calms down. Yeah. You start to think, what do I need to do? I need to call 911. I need to right. look and see if anybody's injured. I need to figure out and triage the problem. I need mm -hmm. to, it's, it's that car crash scenario. Yeah, yeah. So you have to be able to do that. So at, at that point, um, after you went for him and they built the business up to 2.5, what were you passionate about then in the work that you were doing? And has it, has it changed over the years? It has. I, I was passionate about sales then. Okay. okay. Um, I be had 
started to get passionate about technology a little bit because okay. they had a computer system and an inventory system. And really, the first time I was exposed to technology. And again, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm getting up in years. So sure. I mean, the, my first computer uh, it had two floppy drives and they were five and a half inch. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, me too. Yeah, I have my only have one. I built mm-hmm. one. So. Oh, you built yeah. Oh, there you go. That's why you had two. That's right. That's why I had yeah. two. Yeah. So yeah. It wasn't really that much more expensive to have two. I can buy with one, with one. I can buy one with one or I can build one with two. Exactly. I'm going to go with that. Exactly. So, uh, but I mean, sort of become a little passionate about technology, but most importantly, how to use technology in business to improve the performance of the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, at that point, I was, and I didn't really understand it then, I was watching computers drive the business as opposed to the business yeah. defying the use of the technology in the mm-hmm. computer. So I mm-hmm. started to become passionate about that, but primarily it was sales mm-hmm. and learning. And I figured, I, I, at that point, I thought I really honed the professional skills mm-hmm. that, that I needed to, to be successful in sales, really successful mm-hmm. in sales. Mm-hmm. And we did. We did. Uh, uh, we're pretty successful at it. So. Hmm. How, what's the relationship between building a team? So, so reconcile in your experience with a story or whatever, but um, how do I reconcile building a team that has opinions and has wants and has vision for the business, right? Because they came into the business with some interest in it. And then I'm the founder and I have my vision for how the business, right? I have a sense of what I'm good at and what I want. It's and, different than the vision for the business. Okay, so how do you, how do you <laughs> connect all those dots? So uh, let me maybe, maybe define it just a little more, okay? So your vision for the business is where you really think the business should end up. What's your, what's your goal to grow, right? right? Yeah. How, it's not necessarily, for most entrepreneurs I talk to, it's not how to get there. It's where they're going, where, where yeah, they right. want to go to, right? right? So it's the how you get there that becomes critical. Right. So that's where the others come around and, and start to uh, create some noise around, around, around the, the how. how. Right. Not necessarily about the where. It's right. When they're questioning the where, then they really shouldn't be on the team. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the reconciliation. So I if see. you're not on the team of where we're headed, where right. we want to go, like if you didn't sign up for the where, what are you doing? Here? What are you doing here? Right. So leave. Or there's I'll a, find there's you. different wheres. Right. Find a where. Find a where that's yeah, for you. That this for you, this yeah. is where we're headed. Yeah. So if you if you're not on board with where we're going, get out. Mm-hmm. But along the way, the how, mm-hmm. it's fair game. Yeah. I, I mm-hmm. when I run strategy meetings for folks, I, I kind of I, I have a. I don't have a lot of rules. I'm not a big rule guy, <laughs> clearly. But I, I have a, a sheet I always put up on the wall that I, I write on that says, here are the rules. First one is check your ego at the door. Mm-hmm. I don't care what your title mm-hmm. is. I don't care whether you're CEO of a $10 billion public company. You're sitting in the room. Your ideas are worth every bit as much mm-hmm. as your director of marketing who yeah. we've invited in. So mm-hmm. check your ego at the door. Again, how are we going to get there? What are we going to do to get there? Yeah. The vision, Mr. CEO or Ms. CEO, you absolutely should be articulating to this group. Sure. That's where we're at. It. Right. The rest of you, let's elevate the noise. There's a few other rules. Again, check your ego at the door. Everybody's opinion counts. And let's have fun. So does every, everybody's opinion count? Yep. Does that equate, to me, that equates to 
let's you, you, you could actually call that rule elevate the noise I'm very comfortable with so you calling those, it elevating the noise in, in yeah. other words Absolutely. what I'm asking is 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 uh, 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 respecting and engaging everyone's opinion. Let me tell you the something. Same. I've learned as much, and, and I'll go back to my days in the lighting business. I used to call on a, on accounts. When I would call on an account, the first place most of my competitors started was up in the buyer's office. I always started down in the warehouse. Mm -hmm. Always, whether it was in the back or down. Uh, How would I, you start? I would go down and see the guy who was responsible for stocking my product on the shelf. Mm -hmm. Because my boxes were always unloaded first off the dock on new orders. Mm -hmm. So they were always available to pull and sell. Mm -hmm. My boxes were always in order. My boxes were always clean. And even if it was an old piece of inventory, maybe for mm -hmm. me, it hasn't turned. Mm -hmm. When the buyer walks through there and the buyer goes like this, yeah, which look, is what looks, they used to do. It looks, they, in other words, it, it looks, looks new. new. Right, it exactly. all looks new. Right. And these are the days before, you know, VMI and all the other things yeah. that they were doing. But, you know, they, they certainly did that. So I would always start downstairs. Mm. I learned more downstairs right. than I did upstairs. Right. The guys upstairs didn't really know what the hell was going on in the business. <laughs> the guys downstairs they did. They totally did. They That's totally right. get it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I apply that to business. When you're in a session or you're, you're in a meeting, you're holding a meeting or, or you're, you're leading a meeting, mm -hmm. the idea is that you should listen to everyone's opinion. And everyone's opinion counts equally in some cases. Those on the front lines, in my mind, mm -hmm. a little bit like more. the stock room. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. counts a little bit more. Right, exactly. Because they really know what's going on in the business. Mm -hmm. You know, things we think we should be doing because that's how we're going to get there. They have and can put a reality check yeah. on and say, "Wait a minute, we've mm -hmm. got seventeen customers over here who are having this problem that we're ignoring, mm -hmm. and you're what you're right. worried about is trying to get these seventeen new yeah. customers, right?" My buddy Bill, who ran hospitals his whole career, just uh, retired and came, uh, moved back to Cleveland. Um, when he was at a UH hospital one time, I remember asking him, you know, like, who do you really listen to? Yeah. And he said, the bread man. And I said, who the hell is the bread man? He says, the guy that delivers our bread. In the morning. Yeah. yeah. And they said, you're the only person that talks to the bread man. Is that correct? He said, exactly. <laughs> and why do you talk to him? He said, because he delivers bread to all the hospitals. He knows what's going oh, on. He knows what's if I say, what's going on at Cleveland Clinic, Beachwood, or UH this, or you know, yeah, UH right. uh, whatever in the circle, uh, I ask the bread man, and he'll say, radiology is hurting. <laughs> right? How do you find that kind of... Right? So his whole competitive intelligence... <laughs> which was almost impossible, was literally talking to the bread, bread, man, bread which man. was, in your case, the same as uh, talking to the uh, warehouse guys. Right. And sometimes those warehouse guys, by the way, become presidents of the company. That's mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. So and those tend to be really good companies, too. They are. And, yeah. and this, that is a true story. The guy who was, a, who was the stock guy uh -huh. uh, was, became president of the company. In my my tenure in that business, right, 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 he became president of the company. But how many degrees? Zero. <laughs> nice. So how does that ha how did how does how does that defy gravity in that sense? <laughs> well, you, ha you it I didn't def I didn't say he wasn't a good student. I no, said no, he had zero degrees. No, no, so that's <laughs> what I asked. You. So, I didn't ask about his. He's a really good. He was a really good student. Sure. When right. I meet people who ask 
me more questions. And I'm often accused of asking more questions than I am of giving answers. Mm -hmm. And my wife accuses me of ask, answering a question with another question. But it's, uh, and, and there is nobody better in the world. You haven't done that more, tonight. So. No, I haven't yeah, yet. Yeah, no. Okay. <laughs> uh, but um, he, he was a really good student. Yeah. And the company recognized his talents. Right. Uh, plus a few of us maybe tooted his horn a lot, but um, recognized his talents. Mm -hmm. And they were smart enough to send him to things he would learn right. that would right. be applicable to the value and create value for the business. Nice. Mm -hmm. And he learned and he coupled and cobbled all of that mm -hmm. together over the years, plus his own experiences as a lifelong learner mm -hmm. and uh, created a knowledge base yeah. that enabled him to be successful. Yeah. Well, when you look back on all the old companies, um, uh, you look at Jobs and Edison, right, and mm -hmm. Bezos, and you know, you name it. What did these people know when they started? What did they have? Mm -hmm. They right? knew what they didn't know. Right. First of all, yeah, they had they had vivid imaginations. Yeah, um, they had incredible drive. And they had a belief that they could succeed. Right. And again, we're going to go back to that conversation about the vision. Bezos had a vision of Amazon from the day mm -hmm. they started the company. When you look at the Amazon logo and you see the arrow that yeah. goes from the A letter to the Z letter, mm -hmm. that in his mind, and that was created because in his mind, the company was going to sell everything from A to Z. That's right. Mm -hmm. On the internet. On the internet. Mm -hmm. And in, although they started out selling books. Right, right. Because that was a, a business that was uh, right for disruption, mm -hmm. which That's he recognized. Right. He disrupted that business and it set a tone, although until recently, in the last few years, they never made any money. Mm -hmm. But they raised capital like crazy against a vision That's right. that they would sell. And it's, it worked. Mm -hmm. It worked. And, yeah. you know, there are guys like him. There's guys like... Um, of Steve Case, mm -hmm. who had a vision for what AOL could be and what kind of platform it could be and what it could do. These guys had vision and they brought people around who challenged them all the way along the way. Mm -hmm. In some cases they listened, in some cases they didn't. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, Steve Jobs is probably famous for not listening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's famous for, for chewing people up and spitting people out. And honestly, I think that's you're seeing the results of that today in their yeah. corporate culture, in their ability to innovate, the expectation of what they should be able to innovate. The bar is so high mm -hmm. as opposed to disruption. They're, they are not disrupting, they're reimagining, and the bar is so high that they, everybody expects them to create the next iPod, mm -hmm. which is really nothing more than the Newton right. I had 35 years ago <laughs> or 40 years ago yeah. Yeah. on steroids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, the advice you would give to people who are entrepreneurs and founders and creatives who say, I'm, I, right now I'm in, I'm in noise, I'm in the noise phase, and I need to move from noise to signal. It's really pretty simple. Listen to the heartbeat of the noise. What do you hear? What do you see? Uh, expose yourself to other things that are creative outside of the noise. Mm -hmm outside of your everyday routine. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? It can be as simple as going to a networking event of a bunch of people who are artists yeah. in a public space. And if you're, don't tell me you're an introvert, because I am an introvert. Mm -hmm. Actually, by nature, I am an introvert. It's mm -hmm. The thing that scares me more than anything is a cocktail party <laughs> and not yeah. knowing anybody. Right. 
but go to that most, event. Most founders are that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> go to that event and come away with at least three people's cards, business cards. Mm-hmm. Go expose yourself to something different because that will start to open your heart up to what could be possible. That's mm-hmm. interesting. So start to come out of the noise by bringing other people into the volume. Listen yeah, yeah. to heartbeat, bring other people in and come out. Then at the same time, start to uh, make sure you're, you're learning something. Mm-hmm. Make sure you're a lifelong learner. Didn't mm-hmm. go to college, didn't, I mean, I had great mentors, obviously, and smart to listen to them, but I'm also a voracious reader. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife doesn't understand when we go on vacation, which we don't do often enough, and I'm sorry, honey, if you're listening to this <laughs> at some point, um, but I read business books on yeah. vacation. She right. reads novels, mm-hmm. and God love her, um, she understands why she's patient with me to understand why I yeah. read business books. So be a life, be a lifelong learner, and during that yeah. period, learn. And make sure you're identifying and really being honest with yourself of what you love to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because you, you have to love what you're going to yeah, do. Do I really you, love this? Do I yeah. really love this? Do I really, or is this yeah. something that's sexy? It's cool. It's great to talk about with my buddies yeah. or my girlfriends. I, 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 so many people I talk to, they have an idea, but they don't have a vision. Well, that's that's the. I think you're hitting on a really well, interesting. And, thing and worse than that, if they don't have the vision, <clears throat> they don't have the passion either. They may have passion. I disagree, little dog. They yeah. may have passion, but they don't have vision how to how to reach success in what they want to do, and that that takes a vision. You, it's like going. I have the passion to go to California, mm-hmm. but if I don't have a vision of how I'm going to do that, mm. I'll never get to California. I can't expect just to t- start out today from Cleveland and not have any vision of how I'm going to do that. Right. Do I take a car? Do I take a bus? Do I take a train? Do I take an airplane? Mm. Am I going to go the northern route, the southern route, and the middle route? Mm. How, wh- yeah. What's that vision of how I'm going to get there? Yeah. And I need to be there by I'm because I'm going to run out of money. I'm going to be there right. in the next three weeks. Mm-hmm. That's my vision right. for how I'm going to get there. Mm. So you still have to have it. Some people call True. it plan. That's a good point. But, I mean, I, I tell people... You know, I think of ideas all the time, but I think of it first from a passion standpoint. Do I have the passion to, like, eat, sleep, and poop the idea for 10 years or whatever to make it a reality? Uh, But I think sometimes vision, I mean, if you have the passion, the vision comes naturally. But I get your point about not having the vision because... I probably don't have the passion because I don't have the vision. Possibly. Some people get scared away by not being able to see where they want to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. True. And ideas get left behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. But I like your distinction of um, things that are sexy to do <laughs> or things I feel like I should do are not necessarily the things I really want to do. Yeah. I want to get a little more into the um, uh, listening to the heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about... <clears throat> um, how you've experienced that or how you conceptualize uh, what you call listening to the heartbeat in, in the noise. So the, and is that, is that, do you equate that with that's your gut feeling about something? You know, gut feelings are an interesting descriptor of uh, experience, mm-hmm. information, and uh, guts. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's gut feeling. Right, and, right. Uh, and, and it's a combination depending upon what deal you're talking about or opportunity you're talking about right um, it's a combination of all of those um, it's how you put those together mm-hmm. that make a difference mm-hmm. um, 
so how do, when, when I look at, at the noise and the heartbeat, uh, I'll give you an example. So I, uh, I left, I worked for a company here in Cleveland and, and did uh, M&A and business development. And I was kind of Mikey, you know, the, the, when they couldn't figure out how yeah. to solve a problem in a business, mm-hmm. I took it and figured it out and came back with a solution. I call that kind of my secret sauce is that I can look at a very complex scenario, right. digest all the information and, and come up with at least what's an articul- and a solution I can articulate that then we can beat up and create a solution from. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was working for this company, left for a number of reasons, um, part of which was I'm not a really great employee, remember that time? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I left and uh, didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was kind of looking around and I started listening to the heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, my daughter will kill me if she ever listens to this, but she's in a wheelchair mm-hmm. and she was going to college and I had already put one daughter through school. I think Jack, you and I've talked about this yeah. a little bit, uh, put one daughter through school and bought textbooks for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I don't like, I'm not cheap. I don't like to waste money though. Um, so I didn't want to have to buy two sets of textbooks for my other daughter who was about to go to college. One to keep with her, one to keep in the classroom, one to keep it in, in her dorm room because she can't carry mm. a backpack. I literally today right. own URLs like nobackpack.com. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have a, this whole series of, of URLs. So I started to listen to the heartbeat and I realized, again, I said earlier that I, technology kind of fascinates me. How to use technology to change the world mm-hmm. uh, is, a, is a big goal. But I started listening to the heartbeat and the heartbeat told me that there's, there's a need for a simple, affordable solution for children, kids, K through 12, not, not, in, not college, but K mm-hmm. through 12, who have disabilities, mm-hmm. who need technology, as a, can use technology as a way to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically around not having to carry a backpack, right. having everything in a device. Right. Uh, this was the days before the Kindle. Yeah. Uh, it was the Irex by Philips is the first device right? I ever owned that I could read a digital book. You know, mm-hmm. The whole white paper, a digital paper, none of that existed mm-hmm. uh, back then. And, mm-hmm. and, but I got really interested and passionate about it. And I, I spent the better part of, uh, I don't know, six months, eight months traveling around the country and talking to thought leaders mm-hmm. using, who were using technology and education. And from that, we founded a company that was a digital learning solution for K through 12. Mm-hmm. Now I'll tell you uh, uh, up front, we didn't back the Brinks truck up on this one when we sold it. Um, we lost some money in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's that, I guess that's okay because we were doing good for kids and we, sure. we changed some kids' lives. Mm-hmm. But um, we created a one room schoolhouse for today. So, you know, going back and my father-in-law who I love dearly, who I lost, we lost, um, 11, 12 years ago now, mm-hmm. um, he grew up in a farm. My wife grew up on a farm in mid-Ohio. And, mm-hmm. and, and they, um, these, uh, my in-laws and, and probably his brothers and sisters went to school in a one-room schoolhouse. Right. Yeah, right? they would have. They, so in a one-room schoolhouse, there's kids who learn differently, who are at different age mm-hmm. ages. They're different grade levels. Mm-hmm. They have different uh, styles of learning. They have different paces of learning. And then some genius came along. And they had one teacher in the classroom, right. by the way, right? The kids taught each other. The teacher was a guide. She was really kind of leading right. the whole thing and keeping the orchestra playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they helped each other, and she kept feeding them based on how they, their needs and their capabilities. And then some genius came along and said, okay, 
let's take all these kids, let's grade them out based on age, yeah, yeah. let's teach them all the same way, and let's expect they're all going to have great results. Mm. Mm doesn't work that way so the way that this company worked the product worked is uh, it, cre it created a solution where um, in today's education world is called an IEP an individual education yeah. plan right yeah. so where that sounds like one okay so kids with learning cap disabilities mm -hmm. or challenges physical challenges they go on an, an IEP mm -hmm. we created a tool to create an IEP for every kid in the classroom Okay. So the teacher would feed content into it, and based on how they would learn and the pace that they would learn at, mm. the, the, the more content would get fed in. Yeah. So instead of being the, the sage on the stage, the right. teacher in front of the room, she was the guide on the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the kids helped each other, and they all did. Mm. The beauty was they could learn anywhere, anytime, and it had to be iPhone. What I described as yeah, the yeah. vision was iPhone stupid. It yeah. had to be so simple anybody could use it. So how many years are we away I mean, you know, you were you were doing that five, six like, years ago. Yeah, I'm out of it now, probably five years. Yeah, <laughs> but we're so far. I feel well, that like that so learning premise away. is the premise of Khan Academy. It is. Yeah, uh, Khan was very. Early they do their there. homework yeah. in the classroom, and so that's right. how we pivoted. Is um, we really became a. Um, we were the idea was we could use free and teacher created content. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that schools could afford to invest in technology yeah. for the students because there was a trade-off. Mm -hmm. Where we missed, and we didn't listen to the heartbeat, mm -hmm. was that the heartbeat, the drumbeat, was so loud against anything in technology for students because for lots of, of exterior forces that we just didn't listen to. Yeah. We didn't listen that the teacher's union was so strong. Right. Yeah. We didn't listen to the fact that the publishers right. had such a hold. It was so yeah. disruptive. So, yeah, political. Super disruptive. Total disruption. Yeah. I mean, it, there were all kinds of things we just didn't That's listen amazing. to. That's amazing, yeah. And then mm. when we came out of the noise, we realized that we just don't have the horsepower yeah, yeah. Right. to do it, so we jumped off. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, decided we've taken this as far as we can take it. It's, so you sold it. Yeah, uh, for yeah. all intents and purposes, yeah. we, we gave it away. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it went somewhere else. It went somewhere else for somebody else to be a caretaker. Did yes. they do anything with it? Uh, parts of it, yes. Parts of it, parts yeah. of it, but not tomorrow. But it's uh, yeah. it, we're it's, still we're still uh, we're still years away. Um, That's my, what I'm saying. Yeah, you know, we're years away from yeah. from the opportunity. Yeah, uh, and what's going to drive that is is just pure economic greed by those who are the driving forces. Right. Once That's they right. once it becomes more profitable for them to right. teach kids this way, yeah, and uh, they they get a better return on their investment, mm -hmm. then they'll do it. Until then, I don't yeah. I, I don't think so. It doesn't mean I believe you should give up mm. it, or stop yeah. trying. I right. think there are a lot of really good solutions like Khan Academy and others, which have helped kids in ways using technology that um, are far outside of the everyday norm and everyday classroom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Which I think are, are just incredibly important that that continues. The, the Verizon program, there's all kinds of programs out there sure. that enable kids to get content, learn from others, mm -hmm. and, and get online help that, that isn't available. And I don't want to get my soapbox, but what I think has to really happen is every child should have an equal opportunity at that opportunity. Inside <laughs> the classroom, because as you're saying, they're, they're, they're really uh, uh, thriving on the outside of the classroom piece. They're not going inside. No. But I think that it's interesting of the, the, the seed planting that, happen, uh, that happens in every industry. I believe, like Steve Jobs, right? 
stood on shoulders yeah. of other people. Sure. Uh, who were those he people? He didn't invent the mouse. He Absolutely not. <laughs> he didn't invent a lot of things. Yeah. He stood on a lot of people's shoulders. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, he's, he found out how to start on third base. That's right. But Steve was a great marketer. Steve yeah. could take and he could convince you that he created it. Yeah. And then, first of all, Wozniak created most of it. But yeah, yeah. that aside, right. he could convince you that he created most yeah. of it. And, and his ego got too big, which is when they kicked him out. Yeah. And he went and started next. And they realized that he needed, they needed him. And, yeah. And they brought him back. And they, yeah. they needed, really, Johnny Ive. Yeah. Johnny Ives is the one who they really needed because mm-hmm. you know, that's the guy with the vision, the creativity. Mm-hmm. The, he was really, truly a visionary. And uh, mm-hmm. I think he's lost some of that too. But anyway. Yeah, so yeah. Is, there, is there a quick way, <laughs> is there an abbreviated way to get from Chicago? And you, you said you went, did you go to Cincinnati then? Yeah, or? I spent many years in Cincinnati. Okay. Then worked for a company here in Cleveland, which is the company I did M&A and business and okay. all that stuff for. But now, I would you still, do lived in, still lived in Cincinnati at the time and commuted oh, wow. back and forth. I went into the rep business in between. I was okay. in the rep business for many years. And again, using technology, we figured out um, how to really... Um, kind of change that business. Mm-hmm. Uh, the old days, I'd go downstairs and I would check you had four of this and three of this and right. last time you had six and you had five. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened? Yeah. You sold a few. Here's what you should reorder. <clears throat> right. I was the bread guy. Yeah. And then I'd show you a promotion. I'd be creative and I would talk about some advertising and how we can put some things together. Right. And, and we did We did, We did. did a lot of that. I mean, sure. Uh, just... Um, that was fun. I, you mm-hmm. know, go put four distributors together, take out a full color ad in Cleveland Magazine or Cincinnati Magazine, and you mm-hmm. know, we'd split the cost and we'd sell just tons of product because of it. Mm-hmm. Before there was all this other static around and you know millions of images coming at you yeah. every day, we could get some attention. But mm-hmm. um, what I really was fun was using technology to figure out that that stuff anybody can do. I could probably use technology to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got our biggest company to uh, put barcodes on their box. Mm. And we figured out a way to read the barcodes. Mm. And we created a, and we were carrying around portable computers, which weren't so portable by today's right, standards. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But back then, it was pretty portable. Uh, we would, and then we hired a few bread guys, basically. Mm-hmm. At that time, it was all guys. They would go in the day before us, they would mm-hmm. do all the inventories, they'd load it on mm-hmm. the computer. And we would come in and we would literally be able to sit there in a fraction of the time and mm-hmm. create a suggested order. Mm-hmm. From there, we had portable printers. And we had the loaded up the images of every one of the products. Hmm. So we would print out a suggested order wow. with a little image. The buyer would scan down. They'd see the image because they don't know the numbers in their head. They'd see the, they'd see the image, mm-hmm. and they'd sign the purchase order. Right? Yeah. So we can then spend the extra time because what's our most precious commodity is time. We could then talk to and teach them how to merchandise our product, mm-hmm. how to promote yeah. our product. We could train their people. We could really become a, a business partner with them in every sense of the word, mm-hmm. not just a salesperson to yeah. them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, had a bunch of fun doing that for many years. How did you end up in Cleveland physically? I mean, physically. Yeah. Well, physically. So the company, uh, we, one of our companies, the, so here's kind of bringing a full, the story full circle. Mm-hmm. So the guy who ran the company, who was our largest company as mm-hmm. a rep, number one volume mm-hmm. manufacturer, mm-hmm. is a guy who I met in South Holland, Illinois. He worked on the, on the electrical sales counter mm-hmm. 
when I walked in there the first day with my... What's an electrical sales counter? It's where if it's an electrical distributor, okay. a contractor would come in and go okay. to the counter gotcha. and say, I need five of this yeah, and yeah. four of this. Right, right, right. He was the guy behind there taking the order and going back and getting oh. the stuff and talking to the contractor. Mm-hmm. So he knew every contractor. Ah, uh, Okay. Who do you go to when you want to find out who biggest customers are? <laughs> the, the guy who delivers the bread? Right. You go to the guy yeah. at the counter and you become friends with him. Right. He ultimately wound up running this company in Cleveland. Huh. Oh, is that right? So oh. that's how many years we knew each wow. other. Yeah. So that's full Wait circle. A he Where was, to, he, was he in Chicago? He was in Chicago. He wow. eventually mm-hmm. moved from Chicago to Cleveland to <laughs> become part of this company and then worked that's his funny. way up. And Is he still around? Uh, they sold the company recently. He just yeah. retired. He's done. Right? He spends part of his time here, and part yeah. of his time in Florida. But yeah. Uh, so, he uh, <laughs> he he convinced me to get out of the rep business. Okay. And by the way, at the same time, I owned a chain of check cashing stores. Oh wow! Currency okay. exchanges, as they're called in Chicago. Um, I had I had some check cashing stores. Okay. Uh, is but he convinced me to uh, to come work for the dark side. Because <laughs> uh, and, and, well, he needed somebody who would, uh, today they would say, speak truth to power. I call it, I just too stupid not to s- open up my mouth. Uh-huh. Uh, I, not oh, dark side being corporate? Yeah, or? The, okay. the dark yeah, side's yeah, yeah. the corporate side. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. The reps right. all call that the dark side. Right, right. That's, okay, right. that's the dark side. Yeah. I got you. So, but yeah, I, he, he wanted me to come speak truth to power. And uh, okay. I, I would do things like teach him about meetings. He mm-hmm. thought he knew how to run a great executive mm-hmm. staff meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave him, uh, frankly, Jim, Leon Coney, I think is the guy, the writer, um, who wrote a book called Death by Meeting. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I remember right? That, yeah. Remember that book? Yeah. I gave it to him. I said, Tony, before I'm going to give this to you, you're going to Florida for mm-hmm. the holidays. Come back. You and I need to sit down and yeah. discuss this. Mm-hmm. And he came back and he had that book highlighted and, and paged, uh, you know, oh, the yeah. little flags and everything. And he really did study. Oh, yeah. and he, he, we redid the entire executive meeting. Hmm. Yeah. So nice. it became worthwhile to spend the executive time because what I also put in front of them was a, a, a adding machine tape of what that meeting was costing us by the hour. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Salary. Yeah. And I think it might have freaked them out a little yeah. bit that it wasn't productive. <laughs> what's an so, adding machine? Yeah, what's an adding machine? Thank right? you. <laughs> I must know. It's like a, a slide alert. Yeah. Oh, think, would you I say... Uh, would you say... <laughs> Does it feel, when you look at your career um, to this point, does it feel like uh, failure or success were uh, more um, significant teachers for you? Well, that's a good question. First of all, thank you, thank you for saying at this point in my career, because that's assuming I'm, I'm still going to. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not closing. I did, I did pick that subtlety we, we up, so we didn't, uh, <clears throat> we didn't put you in the ground yet. No. <laughs> you know, Jack, I don't know how to answer that, because I think if you're really, if you're really trying to listen to the heartbeat, you're really trying to, to listen to that noise, and figure out what's next. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, the failures are every bit as, as yeah. important as the successes. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so I don't know that I'd say one's more important than the other. No, right. Yeah, so both. Just, yeah, just both. Yeah. yeah. I, I heard an interesting uh, thought. You know, there's a lot of talk in the entrepreneurial community about embracing failure and, and that. And um, somebody said, you know, there's some, there's some bad kind of failure. We should embrace learning regardless of what happens. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. That's a good point. And I would also say you don't want to get too comfortable with failure. Right, right. Right? Yeah. Well, and that was their so point, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Most entrepreneurs I talk Like, to, if it was stupid judgment... It led to failure, yeah. then we're not going to celebrate most, that. Most uh, entrepreneurs I talk to are often, uh, they live a little afraid. Mm-hmm. No right. How or paranoid. Paranoid, well, too. I, I kind of hope it's not but, paranoid. But, but <laughs> I like your phrase of getting they, too comfortable yeah, they with live, failure. Yeah, they, yeah. Live, they live a little afraid. They're, yeah. they're, they're, no matter how successful they mm-hmm. are, no matter how well things are going, mm-hmm. because most of the folks I run into have been on both sides of the equation. Mm-hmm. They've been on the failure right. side and that scares the hell out of them. They've been on the success side and some of that scares the hell out of them because they don't know how to get to the next level right. from where they're at. Yeah. They, they just... They, success they actually creates as much uncertainty yeah. as failure. And which is why we're often brought in on projects because... We come in and we look at the current scenario. We call it the plateau, mm-hmm. uh, where where the client's business is at a plateau. They're successful, mm-hmm. very successful, financially healthy. But it's a plateau. The, but it's a plateau. <laughs> yeah, right. They can't seem, no matter how much more money they throw at it, mm-hmm. and how many people they add or change out, mm-hmm. or how many right. things they processes they redo, mm-hmm. they can't seem to get off of the plateau That's interesting. to the next point. I love so that. the question is, how do you help them do that? Mm-hmm. And part of that is creating that vision, mm-hmm. helping them really see clarity, noise to signal, to signal, yeah. help them see clarity towards the future of where they think they can go. I'm working with a very interesting client today who is a, who's in the legal profession mm-hmm. and we're helping them figure out what's next. And it's a very specific category, and I don't want to say too much about it, but it's a very specific sure. area of the law mm. that opens them up to all kinds of new opportunities, Interesting. which they haven't been able to get off the mark on. Mm. And when somebody new comes in 